This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a Monday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Not just any Monday, a must-win Monday for the Winnipeg Jets, who are down 0-3 in the second-round Stanley Cup playoff series against the Montreal Canadiens. What a difference a week makes, huh? week ago, we were waiting for the winner of Habs-Leafs in Game 7 as the Jets practiced and got ready for round number two, and now just seven days later, almost inconceivably, 3 nothing down and facing elimination tonight. Uh, we've got lots to get to on Games 2 and 3 over the course of the weekend. Dave Poulin will join us coming up in a few minutes, and our good friend Murata Tesh of The Athletic as well will uh, pop by a little bit later on the program, give his thoughts on the series so far what the Jets have done and what they haven't done, and how they can maybe get this series back to Winnipeg tonight. Looking forward to that. Big thanks to all of our great sponsors, Not Autocorp, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Little Brown Jug Brewing, PolicyMe.com, Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Bend Country Club, and Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge. And of course, our betting partner, Cool Bet Canada, will get to lines for tonight's game and more a little bit later on. Um, let's get Michael Remus in here, the CTO. Um, Remo, I know there wasn't much going on for Manitobans other than trying to stay cool this weekend and watching the Jets, but unfortunately, the local hockey side did not give their fans much to be excited about. Um, just a miserable game on Friday, uh, one of the most dull playoff games I can ever remember. Um, and then, you know, kind of went from bad to worse last night with a 5-1 loss to the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, now almost... Seemingly the exact opposite of the Winnipeg-Edmonton series. Um, the Jets find themselves one game away from making tea times. Us, how are you? Happy to be here. It is crazy to think the Jets can go from sweeping Edmonton to be, possibly being swept here in Montreal. I didn't see that one happening. You know, we had talked so much, oh, the Jets have the advantage, they're rested, they're playing well. Um, I don't know. I, the Jets look like the team that just played a seven-game series, and Montreal looks like the team that just uh, you know swept someone. Um, it's the, that we haven't really touched on the Friday game. I mean, I think you said it best on Twitter. I'm mean, like, I feel bad for the guy who's cutting uh, the highlight package for that game. The one nothing <laughs> loss. The one goal what on a shorthanded goal by Tyler Toffoli and Kyle Connor getting some flack. On, I've seen. For his back check on that play. We got killed on the broadcast. I mean, yeah. the press yeah. must have referred to the the flyby by Connor about yes. three times during the broadcast. And, uh, uh, everyone listen, I know they're named the Jets. I know they're named the Jets, but you don't really want to be being singled out for a flyby in the Stanley Cup playoffs. <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately, you know, the attention to detail that we saw... Um, the tenacity in winning battles that we saw against the Edmonton Oilers has been completely flipped. Um, the Montreal Canadiens' sticks have been way better. They've been tougher on the puck. They've been in the right spots. And defensively, Remus, I mean, they're boxing out from the blue line. And we've talked a lot about the Jets' inability to get to the blue paint in front of the ice. I mean, watch the Jets trying to break into the Montreal zone right now. I mean, they're getting pushed to the boards literally as soon as the puck gets over the blue line right now. Um, you can tell it has been a very, very frustrating three games for the Winnipeg Jets. And um, listen, you know, well, they'll have their backs against the wall. You would expect to see, you know, uh, a performance 
that speaks to their situation with their season on the line. But I'll be honest, Reem, I was expecting that yesterday and I was expecting that on Friday. And it's been it's been strange watching a team with so much to play for, with so much opportunity in this situation, come out as flat as they have and really without any ability to generate any offense to speak of right now. I mean, I know everyone's, you know, quite complimentary of Carey Price. And yeah, he's been good. But I mean, has he had to have been great? Has he made any, you know, saves that are going to end up on the highlight reel? Not really. And I mean, to be honest, the Jets just simply have not been generating enough. And, you know, we'll get into this with Marat. I mean, many of these issues go all the way back to their own end and the way they've been handling the puck, managing it. The, the You know, the, the quality of both decisions and execution has been very, very subpar. And, uh, well, there's no real time to fix it. Um, and listen, of course, it's compounded by the fact that Dylan DeMello's not there in their own end, certainly Mark Shifley's absence. But with all the talk about how deep the Winnipeg Jets are as a team, and that was a big strength of theirs against the Edmonton Oilers, it's sort of stunning to see how um, how impotent they've been offensively in this um, in, in this series so far. Yeah, I agree. And you talk about Carey Price saves. I think the one crazy one was on Shifley in Game 1. Other than that, hasn't had to work hard. I mean, that game Friday, we didn't really touch on it. I mean, there wasn't wasn't much going on there. The Jets are getting outshot. You look at the shot charts. I saw Arpin Basu from um, The Athletic retweeted Michael Blake McCurdy, his chart. I mean, you look at the Habs, they got all this red around the Jets net. They're t- getting a lot of shots in close. You've seen Corey Perry get there. And in front of the Habs net, it's all blue because the Jets aren't getting there. Habs leading quite a bit in expected goals. Um, the Jets just aren't getting to those high-danger areas, and they're not getting any chances. And I thought, you know, they would be able to withstand the loss of Mark Shifley, but I think the loss of Dylan DeMello, uh, you're really seeing, you know, how thin this team is at defense. I think it's affecting Josh Morrissey's play. Tucker Pullman is playing over his head on the first pair D. And, I mean, Jordy Ben, you bring in Jordy Ben. They had, didn't really disclose about the lineup, but I think we're going to see Vili Hainala. I think what do you have to lose? You know, he has two games until he goes, until his ELC kicks in. So you got a free one here. I think. Haven't they made the decision on that, though? I mean, like, I heard the guys, I can't remember whether this was on IC last night or on Kenny and Rennie, but so say they decide, you know what? Okay, let's put Villiers backs against the wall and he plays well and they win. Then do you put him in for the next game? Because I'm pretty sure that that second game is the one that, you know, counts the years in ELC. Like, at this point, have they not made their decision uh, on Billy Hainala uh, for this year? Like, would I like to see him? Absolutely. But, I mean, you you if it works for you, you're put in a very, very unenviable yes. situation. And I think they just have to live with the decision that they've made right now. And people will make their own decision. But here's the other thing. Do I think Billy Hainala is going to be the turning point in this series and the Jets are going to come back no. and win because Billy's uh, – I, listen, that would be a great story. But I don't think that's in the realm of reality right now. And, um, you know, it's a bigger conversation about asset management, about the challenges for a team like the Winnipeg Jets to keep their younger players under control for as long as possible and have those players play on those ELC ELC deals when they can contribute. And I really do think that that's the plan for for Vili Hainala. So while... In a, you know, in a bubble, if you take all that stuff out, yeah, it probably does make sense to get him into the playoff game tonight. Um, but just from where I sit, I think they, as an organization, as a management team, they made the decision that, you know, they're not going to push Billy into the lineup and burn that year. 
And, um, you know, kid will be a mainstay once we get going. I mean, he's had a great season. I heard Craig Heisinger talking with Dave Manuk, said he was the best defenseman in the American Hockey League this year. There's plenty of reasons why he should be in the lineup. But it's pretty hard not to look at the situation and not think that organizationally they made a decision thinking that, you know, it was in the team's long-term best interest to have Hanela play next year and not use uh, and not burn this year the contract. And, you know, unfortunately, that makes it very difficult to get him into the lineup right now. Because if it does go well, then you are faced with the gun to your head on continue it with your season on the line and then potentially losing a year of prime years for a very important piece of your future. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm, you know, I think that they should still put him in, but yeah, that would give you a very tough decision if they do. When I was listening to Kenny and Rennie talk about it, and they say, "Hey, man, you got to do what you got to do to win," but I think you have a free game here. You need a guy who can move the puck. It was clear they had some issues, you know, the last couple games without uh, Demello being able to, you know, just on breakouts. And we'll talk to Murad on zone entries and zone exits. You know. At the what bottom of the hour, top of the hour, who knows what this what the saying is? But at one fifty, that's the time. Um, so we'll we'll wait and see what changes they make. I know uh, Paul Stasny talked today about his you know injury and you know the game. But I mean, what lineup changes can you make? You know, give Ehlers more ice time. I mean, him and Lowry has have really been a couple of the Jets who have uh, stood out. And I know last game. Uh, yesterday, you know, when Montreal got the first goal, I didn't want to say I thought the Jets was over, but um, the Jets played well at the end of the second, at the end of the first. I mean, they hit two posts, uh, Wheeler and Ehlers, but once uh, that second goal was in, it was kind of, especially after you have tried so so hard to come back and it just Montreal shoves it in your face. It was I don't want to say it was a backbreaker down two zip, but the way this this team hasn't doesn't look like they have the same confidence that they had in the Edmonton series. Yeah, I mean, listen, they're having such a a difficult time generating anything offensively that, you know, going down even one nothing, um, especially coming out of game two, the way they had almost nothing for Montreal offensively. I mean, you realize that, you know, it, it feels like it's an insurmountable lead, even though you're early in the game and it's just one damn goal. Um, but, I mean, it was more of the same from last night, from Friday. I mean, like, the, just back to Friday for a minute. I know natural stat trick, you know, going through the numbers. Um, I believe they charted the Jets with six high danger chances. Like, I don't know whether they're using a more liberal definition of high danger chances. But, I mean, I went back through that game and <laughs> I had a tough time counting six. I'll tell you that much. Um, and unfortunately, nothing really changed you know, last night. And, and Remus, you bring up Nikolai Ehlers. Ehlers has, without a doubt, I think, been the Jets' most defensive player. And as we'll talk about with Murat, some of the, the offense that he's created has really not been at all by design, uh, but just been Nikolai Ehlers, you know, showing what he can do as one of the more skillful players in the National Hockey League. And, you know, I think back to the setup on Andrew Kopp um, for the Jets' best chance in the first period last night that was saved by Carey Price. I mean, this was essentially Ehlers skating around, buying time, sucking three defenders at him, and then creating the space that way. I mean, that's been pretty much it for offensive creativity from uh, the Winnipeg Jets. And Rima, as Paul Maurice said today, um, this series has been played in the blue paint. Well, at least the Montreal Canadiens have been playing in the blue paint and benefiting from their work in the blue paint 
And the Jets just simply haven't been able to get there right now. And when you lose the offense that they've lost from their lineup right now, you better be able to find a way to generate the quote-unquote dirty goals. You better at least get to those spots where you can score that way. And unfortunately, um, you know, credit to Montreal and their defense for the way they've been playing. Uh, but the Jets simply have not been good enough. They haven't been able to compete hard enough in those areas. Um, and it's cost them with a real dearth of any sort of offense and a big reason why this team's facing elimination tonight. Yeah, and one thing we haven't touched on is, you know, I think you you texted me on the weekend that Patrick Laine was trending in Manitoba. <laughs> I, can only, I can only wonder why. I mean, so, so much of the focus, we talked with Jeff O'Neill on Friday. He's like, the one guy I'm circling, the one guy I want to keep my eye on is uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. And, you know, we've been waiting for him to step up all year. I think he hasn't scored a goal in like 22 games. Mike McIntyre has been talking about that. I think it's safe to say if you were still hoping for, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois to show some flashes uh, of last year's playoffs this year, um, that ship has sailed if it didn't already sail a while ago. I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know what's going on. That doesn't change what I think about him in the future. But uh, maybe we'll hear at the end of the season uh, something's been going on with him because he's not the same player. He doesn't have that jump. I saw, wasn't it Ken Weeb compare him to like Blake Wheeler at the beginning of the season? So I don't know what the deal is. We'll wait. We will wait, to, you know, till the end of the year, whenever that may be, when they give out the laundry list of what everyone, you know, all the injuries, everyone, that's everyone's favorite day when they give the list of the injuries. So, but I think it's been definitely been disappointing and people are saying, hey, we need goals where we could really use a, a top goal scorer like a guy like Patrick Laine. Well, no doubt. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't just here in Manitoba. It was across Canada. Line A was trending. And, you know, I think the, the the patience for Pierre-Luc Dubois, which had been, I think, wearing somewhat thin over the course of certainly the last month of the season when the team was struggling and looking like they needed more from, from Pierre-Luc Dubois, has been running thin amongst Jet fans. And, you know, you sweep a team uh, in Edmonton the way they did you know, a lot of it gets quieted down. But as we said, coming out of game one, after Mark Scheifele's um, decision, you know, to blow up Jake Evans earning the suspension, this was the time for Pierre-Luc Dubois to step up. And the pressure, the spotlight that comes with this opportunity playing in the middle, um, you know, is what top star players in the National Hockey League have to expect. And unfortunately for the Winnipeg Jets and for Dubois, I mean, it just has not been happening. And it brings up a point about Ehlers in that, you know, they've, you know, you move Dubois up with Wheeler and Connor and try and ride those guys as your top line, give yourself the best chance to, you know, chance to score. Are they doing that? I mean, Nikolai Ehlers, I believe what he had 17 minutes last night. I mean, a game where they're desperate to create offense. And I'll say one thing, Paul Maurice has to find a way to get him out more and in more situations to create offense because the other guys that he's been leaning on haven't been getting it done. And there is no tomorrow. Um, you know, Remus, it's funny you bring this up because I do think we'll see, you know, Maurice maybe, you know, really go to some things we haven't seen before considering the situation the team is in. Sort of reminds me of game five against Vegas back in 2018. And we all remember some of the... Uh, the uh, the moves that were made by the coach at that moment, um, you know, including Andrew Kopp being benched, Toby Enstrom being benched, um, but it just doesn't seem like this team is deep enough with the injuries right now that you know you could possibly see you know two, three, four players come in um, and trying to get a completely different look with the lineup. 
Yeah, I saw some people speculating in chat here and other, I think Kenny Raider saying, do you put Wheeler at center now? We've seen him do it in the past because what you've been getting from Pierre-Luc Dubois is not number one caliber center. Do you stack the top line and go Wheeler, Ehlers, uh, Connor? Because it's pretty clear, and I think it's been clear all season, Ehlers is their you know best forward. He's been, you know, every time he gets the puck, you feel like he's going to do something. And, you know, he needs to get to that power play one time. He needs to get uh, that first line player ice time. So figure out how you can get that guy going, and then we will see. But I think the I think the injury to DeMello, I think, is maybe hurting them more than the injury to, or not injury, the uh, suspension to Mark Shifley, just because the depth that you have at, Defense isn't there compared to compared to forward, and we also know well, Paul, is it at forward? It, <laughs> is it? I mean, well, that's what we think, but that's, you that's what we think. Seen it? <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul uh, you know, Stasny, we'll, yeah, Paul Stasny is hurt. I do have the video of him talking. We can play that later. And um, PLD isn't the guy. You know, isn't a guy who's worth trading line A for at this point. He's not living um, up to that. No, I, that's uh, that's certainly safe to say, um, and that's been a big topic throughout this uh, round against the Montreal Canadiens. All right, we've got Pooley, Dave Poolin coming up from TSN Hockey. Really looking forward to that. Before we do that, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, PolicyMe.com. Listen, no one wants to think about death, obviously, but COVID-19, I think, is a good reminder that the impossible can happen, and it's important to be prepared for the worst. Life insurance is exactly that. It's the security you need to know that your family's protected no matter what happens. Um, like, you know, hey, things are unlikely, but so is a global pandemic. And you need to consider life insurance. And thankfully, Policy Me makes it easier. It's easy as, as it can be. No pushy brokers, no paperwork, upsells, personalized advice through the platform, answer a series of questions, and find out if you're improved in minutes. And most don't even require a medical exam. And best of all, it's all online. No paperwork, no phone calls, no awkward meetings or pressure. Um, featuring three real things. Affordable rates, generally 10 to 20% lower than most insurers in Canada. An instant decision and the easy, straightforward process. Find out more. Hop on policyme.com. Incredibly fast, simple, and easy. And when they ask you how you heard about Policy Me, make sure you click podcast. Um, Royal Sports. The whiteout is not dead yet. Still lots of great whiteout gear. But I will tell you, I know a lot of soccer fans are excited for the Euro to get going on Friday. And Royal has always had the most incredible selection, not just of hockey, baseball, NFL merch, but soccer kits from around the world, including everything for the 2022 Euro. Popeye Royal Sports this weekend, this week before kickoff and get suited up with your uh, the team you'll be supporting in Euro. And, uh, of course, so many outdoor activities, fitness sets, bikes, disc golf. They've got it all over at Royal Sports. And, uh, hey, it's DQ Blizzard weather right now. Big shout-out to Nick and Nikki and the Nikki Nikki DQ, DQ Northgate, Polo Park, St. Anne's, and Niverville. And a special congratulations to Niverville, who just got awarded an MJHL franchise. Um, Drumstick Blizzard. Way to go right now. Check it out at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. All right, let's get back to the puck talk. Hard to believe it's must-win Monday after how excited everyone was here just a few days ago. Let's welcome in our good friend Dave Poolin from TSN's Hockey to find out how we got here. Pooley, how are you? Doing great, Andrew. How are you? Uh, doing you, well, well, but... I, I might be uh, able to answer that. I might be able to answer how you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I mean, that was a I'll rhetorical question. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm stunned at the way this series has gone, Dave. 
Um, yeah, you're not. You're not the only one. Um, like what? What happened to the Winnipeg Jets that just swept the Edmonton Oilers? I mean, help us make sense of what we've seen so far. Who? I wish I was that smart to be able to make sense of it. Um, Paul Maurice would probably hire me in a second if he thought I could. But you know, you can point to a, a number of different things. You can say the layoff. You can say Montreal coming in with momentum, but. We talked so much about what Toronto did wrong after they lost to Montreal. I thought I think we forgot to talk about what Montreal did right, particularly in the last three games. And they've simply continued in that exact same fashion against Winnipeg. And they have found their defensive form. That's that's the easiest way to put it. Obviously, they have the goaltender. So does Winnipeg. But they don't have the offensive firepower that Winnipeg has. And they've bought into a defensive style of play in a defensive form that is all about capitalizing and being opportunistic. And that's what they did against Toronto. And that's what they've done against Winnipeg. And, you know, one thing they are doing is they're getting to the slot in terms of number of slot shots I have a number down here. I make too many, way too many notes. I lose track of them. I make so many notes. Um, I think we had 42, Slot shots in the first three games for Montreal, 23 for Winnipeg. So that's the high rent district. So Montreal's getting to the high rent district. Why is Winnipeg not? Well, part of it is because of four really big, tough defensemen on Montreal. And before they started in the playoffs this year, I said that there were a couple key factors if Montreal was going to have any success at all in the playoffs. And the factors dealt with both blue paint areas. So starting with their own blue paint area, you know, Weber, Petrie, and Sherratt were so good last year in the play-ins and the playoffs against Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. And then essentially they doubled down. They went out and got another one of them in Joel Edmondson. And those four guys, obviously they're, they're playing in front of a good goalie, but they make that a no-fun zone. Like, it's no fun to go there. And then the other factor I talked about was the blue crease in front of the other team's net. And you brought in arguably the biggest no fun guy of the last, I don't know, dozen years for other teams, goaltenders. And that's Corey Perry. And, you know, Gallagher is going to go there. And Tyler Toffoli does a great job of hanging around the net. And other people have watched these guys and said, wow, that's really works. That's Arturi Lekkonen's going harder to the net. And, you know, guys are going hard to the net right now. You all are me is going hard to the net. And when you see a point shot come in, there's not one red jersey in front of the net. There's two, and the third one's going there. So I think the control of the two net fronts is probably Montreal's biggest asset and Winnipeg's biggest issue right now. And and Paul Maurice spoke about it this morning, Dave. Um, I mean that you know, it's there are a few areas of this series where I think it's pretty simple to to you know whittle down and say you know look at this. This is why this series isn't close right now. It's three nothing. That certainly is it. You've talked about Montreal's ability to get to those places and make life miserable for Connor Hellebuck. All credit to the Montreal Canadiens for what they've been doing and the amount of minutes that those big defensemen have been running, but. I mean, are, are the Jets competing hard enough to get to those areas? Um, you know, it, it doesn't seem like they've been able to match what Montreal is bringing towards them in their end. Well, I think, and, and I'll take both ends on this one. I, I think they're out of sync right now because of a couple of players that were lost. 
And let's start in the defensive side. No one is, I, in my opinion, is giving Dylan DeMello the credit he should deserve as a hockey player. And no one is understanding. It's not just the loss of DeMello. It's that now you've moved Pullman away from Stanley. And they were really effective together in their, in their pairing. And you've taken DeMello away from Josh Morrissey. And so essentially to reorganize and bring Jordy Ben in, you've changed two pairs and, and you've changed the matchup factor. And Josh Morrissey has struggled because he was really comfortable with DeMello. And so I think that's a forgotten point is that it's not just the player you lose and what he brings. It's how he affects the trickle down in your lineup, both in pairings and in matchups. And then on the other end, I mean, you're talking about one of the top offensive players in the National Hockey League and Mark Shifley. And, you know, Paul Stasny is obviously dinged up. So you're without your two top centermen healthy. And it's affecting where and how the wingers get the puck. Everyone knows, you know, the, the abilities of Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers specifically. But now look at the way you've had to break the lines up. I, you know, we've always talked, we've talked in this program about, you know, my favorite third line in hockey. But it was Kyle Lowry with Andrew Kopp and Mason Appleton, and you don't have that right now. And you're trying to play Kopp up in the lineup, and that's well-deserved, and he's capable, but you lose him on that third line. And so it's just the trickle-down. It's, it's Everything's happening because of the fact that you're trying to compensate for losing one of the top players in the NHL in Mark Shifley. You know, it's a great point, Dave. Um, and, you know, we uh, talked you know, last night after the game, you know, we're three games in to this series. Adam Lowry and Nikolai Ehlers have been the two best Winnipeg Jets, at least up front. Ehlers played ninth, uh, had the ninth most minutes, not really playing on the top line. And the Adam Lowry line doesn't have Andrew Kopp. I mean, would you consider going into this game, getting Kopp back with Lowry, playing those players more, maybe more along the, you know, the numbers of a second line, and doing what you do to get Ehlers on that top line, play him as much as possible, and load it up to give your best players the best chance to make a difference tonight. Yeah, I'd certainly take a look at that. You know, we've we've seen Blake Wheeler play effectively in the middle. Um, you know, Wheeler between Connor and and Ehlers is something you have to consider. Ehlers is so electric when he touches the puck, and you know, the excitement of being together might be a propeller as well. But then you're you're you know that third line is a really effective line at both ends of the rink. And you could play them in any situation. I like that because of the fact that at least you have one line that's played together and been together. And these guys are, they're NHL players. They can play with anybody, except they might play most effectively together. I like that thought. I really do. And then, you know, you cobble together what's left with Paul Stasny and Pierre-Luc Dubois and, you know, Veselainen or, or whatever that makeup, um, Matthew Perot would be in the mix. Maybe Perot with, uh, with Stasny and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois. And, and, you know, and that has to get it done. Um, Dave, I think it goes without saying, when you're traded for a, a Patrick Laine, um, you come in with expectations and pressure. I think for the most part, people have been quite patient with Dubois. As he's tried to find a spot in the lineup. But we knew that when Shifley got suspended... This was going to be the time for Pierre-Luc Dubois to show Jets fans, Jets management, why they had the faith to acquire him. And it hasn't happened. What are you seeing and what are you not seeing from Pierre-Luc Dubois right now? 
uh, I don't think he's skating like he skated. He skated last night um, on a shift. It was early in the first, and I was sitting with Darren Drager, and he went from point A to point B. It might have been on the top of the circles to the end wall, and he got a hit in on somebody, maybe Weber. And I looked at Drags and said, that's what he needs. But it shouldn't be that noticeable when he does it on a shift from the top of the circles to the end board. It should be all the time. And and I went through it in my own career. And, you know, my general manager was a fairly, well, what, what was the best way to describe Bobby Clark? He was quietly vociferous. Can we put those two words together? Uh, when, <laughs> when he talked, you listened. You did. You had little choice but to listen. And he grabbed me. And, and it happened, you know, maybe every couple of months. And I'd be cruising along thinking I was doing pretty well. And he'd grab me and he'd say, you're not skating, Davey. And I'd say, Clark, I am skating. He'd say, you're not skating. Not like you can. You're thinking about what to do next instead of skating and let what happens happen. And he said, your skating is your biggest asset. And when you don't skate, you're not the same player. And I love to argue with him because he was – he was great to argue with. Um, he didn't lose many arguments, as you might imagine. Plus, he was the boss. But he was right. And it's hard to convince yourself that when you're an NHL player. But I don't think Pierre-Luc Dubois is skating like we've seen him skate in the past. And if that big train gets moving, then whatever happens, happens. But if the big train is kind of cruising and trying to make a right decision and trying not to do something wrong, man, that's hard to play hockey like that. So I don't think he's he's skating like he does when he's effective. We watched him last year in the in the bubble against Toronto just be a dominant player, dominant. And because when he's skating, the physical part followed and then the mental part followed. And so it sounds simple, not that simple to do, but they need him to be more of a factor than he's been. Dave Poulin with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Uh, Poulin, you mentioned Mark Scheifele. Uh, we haven't had a chance to speak since what happened in game one. How did you see uh, that all go down, and what did you think of the suspension? Uh, I thought it was going to be two games, which in my mind equated to four games in their math formula. You know, they always said that, you know, they factored in the playoffs and then it was double, and they factored in that he hadn't been suspended before. And, you know, and so I thought it would be two games. Um, it didn't surprise me that it was four because of everything that surrounded it. And I say that the time of game, the exact incident, um, the way the play happened, uh, you know, the fact that he didn't play the puck. So, you know, I, I, I'm not saying two things. I thought it would be four, but I was, or two rather, but I was trying to predict what they would do. But, I, I, you know, I was fine with the four game suspension. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it just seems like it's sort of deja vu for a lot of people here. I mean, we all think about what happened to the Winnipeg Jets in the bubble against the Calgary Flames when Shifley got mm-hmm. hurt in the first five minutes of game one. I mean, they came back with a nice performance and, you know, got a win. But, you know, they were done in less than a week. I mean, it was four games and over. And Well, he's that you know, important, been, though. I mean, he, he's that good yeah. a player. You know, he's not one of the top scorers in the league every year for no reason. I mean, he's he's a really, really effective player. And, you know, back to that hit for a second – the way I, you know, I've sat in all the seats, right? I've sat in the coaching seat. I've sat in the management seat. I've been in a player's seat. Um, the the way I always try and think about that, number one, what if it was me? Or number two, what if it was my guy? And, you know, if that had been um, pick a player, Nick Ehlers, who was rounding the net to tuck that empty net goal in, 
and he got wiped out by uh, Philippe Dano on the other team or, or you know, anybody, or Josh Anderson, the other team, Winnipeg would feel the same way as Montreal did about the hit. And so, you know, that, that's, the two, that's the two side of the equation. I mean, you always, I think, I think Paul voiced it, it's the flag that flies on your car. You're going to back your guy. Um, but, but he, he, he's that good and that important. You didn't just lose a guy there. You lost a guy. Well, and unfortunately it seems like they've lost a few more guys with the loss of Shifley. I mean, listen, Kyle Connor, um, can score goals. There's no doubt about it, but you know, when that line is playing without the puck, um, he's not very effective, Dave. And I, I will say this, I mean, the, uh, you know, he sort of got singled out on the broadcast for the the flyby it was referred to on the uh, on the one goal the shorty that ended up being the uh, the differ the difference in game number two, but um, you know players like Kyle Connor, Wheelers seem frustrated at times. Um, like the loss of that one player not only has kind of nuked that top line, but as you mentioned, all the changes that it has brought on, um, it's completely thrown the entire lineup into turmoil, David. You know, unfortunately. You know, for all the things focusing on the simple things, the fundamentals that they did very well against the Edmonton Oilers, um, it just doesn't seem like they're having anywhere near the success in this series against Montreal. Well, a couple points back to your point. I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive, you may get a call this afternoon, but I don't think I'm going to about the Winnipeg lineup. But I like our idea <laughs> of, <laughs> of forming the one line that is constant and everyone's there for. And, and that's the Cop-Lowry-Appleton uh, line. And then going from there with Wheeler and Connors playing together and giving them, you know, the electric Nikolai Ehlers. But if you think about Connor, Connor's game, okay, he's good on the rush and he's good in zone. He's the, he's sort of the rare combo player that, that can score off the cycle or can score on the rush. But where is he getting the puck and when is he getting the puck? And, and that's why when I watch that line break out, they support each other so well. If there's the width of the ice available, they'll throw it wide. If it's not, both Shifley and Connor will come to Blake Wheeler. And they'll come, you know, make it an 8, 10, 12-foot pass. That support is there. Well, he's not getting the puck in the same places on the rush, and he's clearly not getting it in the offensive zone. Now, take it a step further and say, not only is he not getting the puck, but the other team is a little less worried because Mark Shifley is not on the ice. They can focus a little more on Kyle Connor and a little more on Blake Wheeler. And so there's a combination that goes into the fact when you lose one third of a top line like that, that is so, you know, so in sync and knows each other so well. And you can't help but appreciate the struggle it is when you lose that player that makes your game so much easier. Dave, I did want to ask you about a couple of the other things in the playoffs, but just, you know, if you're Paul Maurice, you're going into, you know, a game where there is no tomorrow if you don't win. It's been pretty clear what the issues have been for the Winnipeg Jets so far and what they haven't been able to do. You know, what's the message? Other than obviously, you know, embrace the your backs against the wall and all those raw-raw things. As far as tactically, I mean, is this a matter of, you know, just simply paying the price and, you know, dealing with a little bit more lumber from those defensemen and getting in front of Carey Price? Or is there something else the Jets, you know, the, the message to this team is start with this and then we can go from there? Yeah, it would be a four-letter word and that's play. That's what I would write on the board. Um, they all know how to play. They're all there for a reason. And listen, when Montreal was down 3-1 to Toronto, 
No one thought they had a chance to come back. No one. Until game five started. And it was about 10 or 12 minutes into game five. And I was watching what Toronto wasn't doing and what Montreal was doing. And I remember saying to the guys, because we sit and watch the games together for the panel, right? We've got Jeff O'Neill and James Duffy and Darren Drager and myself. And we sit together and watch the games. And, and part of the makeup of our panels is the discussion that goes on through the game. And early in the game, I, I remember saying, you know, th- guys, this, <laughs> you know, I've been in this seat before. This isn't good for Toronto. Because Montreal, through the first 10 or 12 minutes of the game, was like, we're still here and we're not going anywhere. And that's what Winnipeg has to do. Play. Don't overcomplicate things. Just play. Go hard to the net. And you talked about simplifying. It is simplifying. But every one of them can play. And worry about the first shift. And then worry about the second shift. And then worry about the third shift. Don't worry about the fifth game or the seventh game. That's not a concern right now. And as simple as it sounds, that's how how tightly you have to break it down in order for it to be to in order for it to work. Dave Poulin's with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Um, Vegas right back in this series with the Avalanche. I mean, uh, people were crowning the Avs champs after game number one, Dave. Um, interesting how this is uh, this has gone. And, you know, I'll bring this up on a point because we're speaking about this Winnipeg-Montreal series, which is incredible. I believe it was our old pal Frank Cervelli that grinded this stat out. Five times there's been a team that has swept the first round that has gone in to play a team coming off a seven-game series. The team that swept has yet to win a series. And right now we're seeing the Vegas Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens after seven-game grinds um, look pretty darn good against teams that had a week to rest, or a week, more than a week, to rest and prepare for them. What gives? I thought this would change this year because of the pandemic and because of all the different ebbs and flows. Like, you know, through this last year and a half, the season has stopped. Then it started again. Then it stopped. Then you were affected by someone else's schedule and you had six days off. So they've been through more than they normally go through during, you know, a regular season. So I thought exactly what you're talking about would change, but it hasn't. And, you know, I'm smiling thinking about Vegas because I actually picked them to go all the way this year. And, you know, and I didn't actually alter even when they were down three to two. Then in the second game, they totally dominated Colorado and lost three to two in overtime. But that's a really good team. And that's a battle hardened team. And you think back to the conference finals in their first year when we were all together in Winnipeg watching that series and we couldn't believe what they were. Well, they're way better now than they were then. They're way, way better now. You know, guys like Mark Stone and, and Max Pacioretty and guys they've added, um, Petrangelo. I mean, that's a really, really good hockey team right now. So I expected it to go deep. I expected them, <clears throat> excuse me, to beat Colorado. And, <clears throat> you know, I don't know about the rest versus continuing to play. You know, coming in, in in the first game, Montreal was fine against Winnipeg. Vegas was horrible against Colorado in that first game, was 7-1. And so there's no real formula. It's a coach's nightmare to have that much time off, how much time to give the guys, what to do during that time off. It's just there's no right answer, and you're feeling your way through. But I thought the pandemic would have changed things a little bit to where guys would have been able to handle time off better. 
Dave, uh, I watched the Islanders Bruins game, and, and I will I will admit full disclosure, I hate the Bruins. I'm always going for whoever they're playing, but I do really love Barry Trotz, Manitoba guy, and the job that he's done and what he's able to squeeze out of his team. To me, is you know is envious. Um, I mean, it's incredible what he what he does. Um, I watched that game and I saw the fight that the Islanders were bringing to the Boston Bruins and knowing that they are, you know, can't really compete talent wise with Boston, but um, they make up for it in a lot of other ways. Um, And sure enough, there they get the win. They're right in this series going forward. And part of me talking with some friends, I'm like, I hope the Jets were watching that game, the Islanders, because that literally the the, uh, that ability to to commit to a system um, and to have the the persistence, the relentless nature of that that Barry Trotz's team brings, you know, gives them a chance to win every night. Um, how are they doing it, and can they continue to do it for two more wins against Boston? I think they can continue to do it, and you know, I wrote a column, I think two weeks ago, I wrote a column about all the different types of teams you end up playing in the playoffs, and the team no one wants to play. I tied to any team that Barry Trotz coaches. Like, you just don't want to play them. You know, you're looking at all the teams that play, I say, oh, I hope we don't play the Islanders, because that's Barry Trotz's team. He's not lost a first round of the playoffs since 2010 with three different organizations. I mean, that's remarkable. I'm a huge, huge Trotz fan. He was our minor league coach the last couple of years I played in, in Washington, so I got to know him a little bit. But just that's a guy I would have loved to have played for. I mean, my style of play, I'd have been perfect for Barry Trotz. But there's also a little more skill there than than we let on. And, and they're missing their best scorer in Anders Lee. And the pickup of Kyle Palmieri has, you know, maybe supported that a little bit. But Matt Barcel's a heck of a hockey player. And they've got talent on the back end. And their goaltender's been playing well. Both of them have at various points. It's just a team that's, they're annoying. And they seem to take pride in being annoying. Like, you know that they look at the other side and say, now we don't have Patrice Bergeron. We don't have Brad Marchand. We might not have David Pasternak, but let's go out and and really annoy them. And that's what they're able to do on a consistent basis. They're a good team. Hey, Dave, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I wanted to get you on today because I'm not sure whether we're going to have a series to talk about for much more, <laughs> but uh, we'll see whether the Jets can live to see another day and get the series back to Winnipeg for a Game 5 with a win tonight. Uh, you be well, my friend. Thanks so much for doing this, and we'll continue enjoying what you and the gang are doing on the TSN Hockey Panel. I appreciate it, Andrew. There's still a little more hockey to go no matter which way it goes, and uh, always happy to join you. Have a great day. Hey, thanks so much. There he is, Dave Poulin, great friend of the program. And you can see Dave, O-Dog, Duthie, the rest of the guys breaking down all the Stanley Cup playoffs on TSN. We will focus more on the Winnipeg Jets coming up in just a couple minutes with Murata Tesh. In the meantime, do want to thank our good friends at Not Auto Corp for their incredible support of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily from day one. Whether you're looking for a new vehicle for the family, uh, maybe something a little more sporty for uh, the weekends, or a complete switchover from uh, a vehicle you're in right now to a new one, you can use their consignment program. Check out the Teslas, SUVs, convertibles. They really do have it all. Pop by and see them at Waverly and McGilvery or you can check them out online at not.ca. And of course, Red Seal Technicians, Body Shop Detailing, whatever your vehicle needs, stop by Not Auto Corp. They'll hook it up, Waverly McGilvery, and not.ca. 
And of course, it was uh, it was a heater on the weekend. I know you were hydrating. You got to mix in a few waters, but I hope you also mixed in a few little brown jugs. Uh, did have a few 1919s in the sun on Saturday. What a great beer. Uh, but the one I'm enjoying the most right now, the new Summer Lager. You can grab the Summer Lager and the Hefeweizen available in the uh, Summer Pack as well as in full cases and you can do that at any bottle shop or maybe the easiest way to do it go to littlebrownjug.ca brand new relaunched website making it easier than ever before to order beer and they'll deliver it right to your home i know a ton of winnipeg sports talk listeners have taken advantage of it we get the tweets all the time um so yeah don't deal with the beer store go online littlebrownjug.ca order them up and uh, get them delivered right to your door and a big shout out to breezy bend and the the Bree, our Breezy Bend golf report today is something I'll talk about with Remus a little later on, because it was in some ways an act of God um, for Pat Cantlay betters, of which I was one of them. We did our picks on the lock shop, had Pat Cantlay at twenty to one, and uh, it looked like this tournament was over. Uh, John Rom had a six shot lead on Saturday, finished his eighteenth hole, and then was told. On, at Greenside that he had tested positive for COVID-19 and had to withdraw from the tournament. So uh, a disaster for John Rom and Rom backers. Um, a bit of a miracle for Pat Cantlay backers. And um, a hell of a battle between Cantlay and Morikawa. If you saw it, went to a playoff right up to puck drop of the Winnipeg Jet game. Uh, but Cantlay gets the win, a beating call in Morikawa. Uh, they got the another tournament, and then it is U.S. Open time We'll continue uh, talking golf, and uh, I'll probably have more time to talk golf, depending on what happens with this hockey game coming up tonight. Big thanks to Breezy Ben. If you're interested in checking out membership rates or getting on the waiting list for next year, find them online at breezyben.ca or give our good friend Corey Johnson a call over at the club. All right, let's welcome in Murata Tesh of The Athletic. Uh, it is not just a must-win Monday, it is Marat Monday, and uh, we've got <laughs> lots to chew on coming out of a uh, Pretty miserable weekend for the Winnipeg Jets and their fans. What's going on, Marat? How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I took a nice nature walk, took a took a nice bit of fresh air, tried to tried to get a sense of where the fans are at, where this team is at, and the stakes of the enormous game tonight. Uh, what did you find on your walk? Uh, I can tell you the fans are somewhat <laughs> rattled. Uh, I'm not sure where the team is at, but they kind of look rattled too. Um, this does not look anything like the team we saw play the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I don't know where you want to start. Composure, execution, uh, ability to generate offense, attention to detail defensively. I mean, everything has slipped. And listen, I know we'll talk about, you know, a play important player on the blue line gone and Mark Shifley being gone. But I mean, the rest of the players, uh, you know, in, in the way things are constructed right now, um, just look completely disjointed, Murat. I mean, this goes back not just last night's game. I mean, for my money, I said this to some friends on the weekend, and maybe this is overstating it, but that was the worst, most dull playoff game I think I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I, I racked my brain trying to think of a game, and then to turn from that game to the Vegas-Colorado game, that was like a completely different sport. Um but back just the situation of what we've seen from the Jets, because um, it, the list is long of things that aren't going well for Winnipeg right now. Yeah, absolutely. It is funny. I, I don't disagree with you about especially game two Friday night. I mean, 
I honestly think, and this is this is not because the bar is low. This is because the bar is high. But that was the worst playoff game I've seen that the Winnipeg Jets have been a part of since the time that I've started covering them. And I think that that's a reflection more so of the fact that we've been treated to some quality in 2018. Quality again, mostly against the St. Louis Blues as well. That was that was dull, and it was not dull because it was a masterpiece. I'll, I'll say that. For me, in terms of what's going wrong right now, it's funny. Like I agree with you in that it's a little bit of everything, right? Winnipeg looks a step slow in its puck movement. That comes out of their breakouts. It means that you know they're attempting breakouts before Corey Perry's goal last night to open the scoring. If you are willing to rewind past whistle after whistle after whistle, <laughs> Winnipeg failed six consecutive zone exits six consecutive and then Corey Perry's goal mercifully brought them out of that and for me that's a sign that Winnipeg's a step slow in their own end they're a step slow with their puck movement they're a step slow with those decisions and whether that's personnel whether that's execution whether that's game plan whether that's Montreal is just so fast and so smart and so well prepared uh it's not working it is certainly not working right now and I know that Paul Murray said today that entries and exits, the way that he has them counted, are roughly even in this series. I asked, well, how do you measure that? Is there a sense of quality that goes along with that? I mean, because I watch, and when I see the Montreal Canadiens blue line, I see Winnipeg attacking it 2-on-5, 2-on-4, 2-on-3, 3-on-3 at best sometimes. And then when you get a really good scoring chance, say Andrew Kopp's one-timer in the first period last night, it's because Nick Ehlers made a special play, drew three defenders off to him, and then was able to make that pass to Kopp in space. Or Kyle Connor made a special play passing through the neutral zone, stretching for Blake Wheeler early on in the period as well. And it seems to me that it takes a special moment as opposed to a systemic flow of play for Winnipeg to have that opportunity. And I know, I know that the story of the series is Montreal's gotten to the blue paint, Winnipeg has not gotten to the blue paint. That's where the goals get scored from. You saw that with Arturi Lekkonen's second goal with five Jets on his back. He's walking away. I think he had four opportunities or maybe somebody else whacked one off the post right before he scored. That's where the goals get scored from. That's where Winnipeg needs to get to. But to that line of thinking, I urge to consider how do you get to the front of the net? You can't win a face-off in the neutral zone back to your own blue line and then tell the four guys who don't have the puck to go crash the crease, right? You have to get the zone with possession of the puck, either because you dumped it and recovered it or because you skated it across with possession. And the Jets are skating at that line two on four far too often. There's no blue line activation because the puck movement started off so poor when the breakout began. And they're certainly not turning Montreal Canadiens defensemen, winning the puck, finding ways to create the zone time, even a few seconds of it, that actually justifies the net crash. Because you can't go there unless there's a reasonable expectation that the puck will get there too. You know, it, it, it's a great point. Let's focus on Ehlers for a minute. Well, actually, two players. For my money, the two guys that have been dangerous and creating things are Nikolai Ehlers and Adam Lowry. And the the Lowry-Cop-Appleton line, when put together, has been so effective in, in both ends. I mean, there has been some offense that's come with that. I mean, if it's me, and Paul Maurice sometimes hesitates to do things, but then does big moves when... The team's got his backs against the wall. Look at the 2018 Game 5 lineup and the guys that came in and, and, and out of the lineup. And they're not those real options for tonight. But I will say, I, I'm putting Cop back with Lowry and I'm playing those guys as one of the top two lines and getting them out more. And the other thing, you mentioned Nikolai Ehlers. I mean, in a series where there is no offense being created, 
you simply need to get Nikolai Ehlers out in more opportunities, more than the ninth uh, highest ice time on the team. I get Ehlers on that top line, whether that means moving Wheeler to center, um, whether that means um, changing it. Like, I don't think things, we'll talk about Dubois in a minute. He does not seem to be a solution right now. Um, to me, Lowry line together, play them more, and get Ehlers up on that top line and ride those guys as much as you can because um, there's no tomorrow if you do not win this game tonight. Yeah, I mean, Nick Ehlers, there, there's there's no real conversation about who Winnipeg's most dangerous forward is right now, and it's Nick Ehlers for sure by a mile, creating chances for himself and for others. Winnipeg outshot Montreal 9-2 with Ehlers on the ice at 5-on-5 last night. That's a flow of play reserved for Ehlers and whoever his line mates happen to be on any given night, especially in a series where transition is such a slog for Winnipeg, where they're not getting entries in the traditional way. And certainly, like you mentioned off the hop, I mean, Dylan DeMello, his loss hurts. Shifley, his loss hurts. It goes on like this. But Winnipeg doesn't have that puck movement except for when the puck is on Nick Ehlers' stick. And that's what leading to, to that's what leads to offense right now. So for me, it is absolutely about maximizing the amount of time that he plays. I mean, it is a do or die on the cusp, cusp, cusipice, precipice <laughs> being swept. And Winnipeg's in a situation where it needs to identify who its literal best player is. And that's Nikolai Ehlers right now and maximize that. And if that means that Blake Wheeler is at center, so because, you know, Dubois hasn't worked, Paul Stastny, we don't know what percentage he's at, and certainly he didn't look great in his first game back, then so be it. Because Ehlers needs those minutes, in, to my point of view. You've got to play your top guns. Or if that means that Blake Wheeler ends up as the second-line right winger and Nick Ehlers is on line one, I think that's the state of the union right now. Wheeler has had a good playoffs. He's done some good things. He's not Winnipeg's most dangerous player. And I don't think that the Jets, in terms of their deployment, seem to have realized that. Or especially when you see him not play on the top unit power play that immediately gives up a goal against and a penalty uh, that, that really kills the momentum as well. And you've got Mason Appleton on there. You've got Stastny back from injury. I think that that's... That, I think that's a, that's a major issue. Cop Lowry Appleton for me, I mean, that's one of those, I guess, dance with the ones that got you. I can't remember the phrase. That's a little more old-timey than dance I know. But with, uh, your dance with who brought you. <laughs> that's the one, right? I mean, it's tried and true. I know Perot has had success on that line early on in the season. When Cop was playing up, that line was still very good with Matthew Perot there. But I do understand the desire to know that those guys generally get the job done. And you don't have to treat them as a top six, bottom six, which you've pointed out before. I know. I mean, Winnipeg, when those guys are playing well, do look like a top nine team. Even if guys like me, I, could, I, I categorize them as a checking line often, they can create. And Adam Lauer is your series leading scorer for the Winnipeg jets which is a problem but also a reflection of what he can do uh it, it goes without saying that if you get traded uh to winnipeg for a guy like patrick line there's going to be some extra spotlight on you from some extra pressure for the most part i think both the team and the fan base have afforded uh, plenty of patience to appear luke dubois but we knew that the second mark shifley took himself out of this series the spotlight would be on dubois to step up and show the team the city why he was brought here, and uh, unfortunately, it's been ugly the last couple of games. I mean, wh- uh, can you even make sense of what we're seeing right now from Dubois, the struggles that he's having? I mean, is there one area of the game that it's not that's not doing it for him, or is this a bigger part of just never finding the spot, which is unfortunate because they've tried him pretty much everywhere that he fits within this current collection of Winnipeg Jets? 
Well, if we divorce these last couple of games and the lack of production from that line and from Dubois in particular, from everything that came before it, and we just look at kind of the flow of play when they're on the ice, they don't tremendously get buried. It's not, for me, it's not an idea that these guys have gotten dominated. And certainly they are playing most or many minutes, pardon me, at least against Philip Dano, who is one of the world's premier checking centers and two-way players. Um, they, they're not getting dominated, but they're not creating. The, the, the Winnipeg Jets issue for me right now is not a defense issue. It's a creation issue. And maybe that has defensive zone components, but it's about creating. And, and Pierre-Luc Dubois is not alone in that. And certainly because of Shifley's absence, Stastny's injury, he's under the microscope to deliver something that he has not delivered to this point. For me, where does that come from? I mean, some of it, okay, yeah, two-week quarantine, early season injury, late season injury. Structurally, this was not the year for him to, to explode, but that can't explain everything here. So I, I, I don't think that that's enough to just sweep everything away. What I'm seeing is that sometimes I see, I see Pierre-Luc Dubois as a skilled, speedy forward with size who can protect the puck. I hear Paul Maurice talk about him as a power forward who can uh, be a particular, particularly physical player. I don't think so. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is a stick checker who boxes out. I don't think he's a guy that's trucking guys or running people over. I don't think that he's a guy that's necessarily turning the corner on people right now. So for me, I, I see criticism about his power game. And no, I don't think his power game is there. But what Pierre-Luc Dubois needs to do is, is get that puck in his wheelhouse and start skating because I think that's what's going to open up space behind him to make those plays. Uh, I think he's more of a playmaker than a shooter. And Winnipeg hasn't figured out when he is that playmaker, when he should be a power forward, when he should be a speedster, and it's led to, to zero in terms of generation. Uh, Murat Atesh of The Athletic with us here, and uh, make sure to check out Murat's piece on last night's game. A great breakdown of uh, how we got to where we are right now going into uh, into game number four. Uh, listen, when you're in a situation like that, obviously everything is going to be uh, broken down and evaluated and coaching always at the top of that list. Um Paul Maurice was taking a lot of heat in the final month of the season when the team was struggling. And, you know, he said something that was so interesting, Marat, when he came on uh, with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk a week or two ago before the before the, this series. I asked him about what was going on with the slump and, you know, getting out of it, going into, you know, the win against Edmonton and, you know, talking about the timing of it. And he said, well, you know, it was somewhat fortuitous in the fact that it wasn't just one thing. It was the execution, it was the power play, it was the PK. I mean, there was a long list of things that had all slipped. And what's crazy is that right now we're basically talking about the exact same thing in this series from the series before. So while I had a ton of time for credit for Maurice with the way he prepared his team and the way they were able to beat Edmonton in four games, I think that if you were... You know, giving bouquets uh, a week ago, you have to be asking what's going on from a coaching standpoint. And I will say this, going into this series, you're looking at Maurice with all this experience against a guy that's been in the league for 45 games, and you thought that this is a huge advantage for Winnipeg. It's a pretty tough look right now, to be honest, from a Jets side when it comes to the coaching battle between these two clubs with what we've seen through three games. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Dominic Ducharme looks like the genius. Paul Maurice doesn't. I, I don't think that it's ever quite as bad as it looks when a team is down 3 nothing. but I don't think it's ever as good as it looks when they win a series 4 nothing either, right? And you talk about 
every single item, goaltending, power play, penalty kill, this inability to break out and then create opportunities from the middle of the ice. And if you take every single one of those aspects of the Winnipeg Jets game and just take 5% of quality off, I'm making that number off, but up, but if you just shave a little bit of quality from every single aspect of the Winnipeg Jets game, they're going to lose series that should be 50-50. And they're going to win if they get an incredible performance from Connor Hellebuck, as they did against the, win, uh, the Edmonton Oilers, pardon me. And the margins are so close to me. The margins are so close in, in that... That 4 nothing sweep was not a dominant performance. Every single game was a one-goal game. And not only were they all one-goal games, but you have moments like Dylan DeMello's Hand of God save. You have Connor Halibut playing out of his mind. You have McDavid and Dreisaitl generating quite a lot of opportunities, but Morrissey and DeMello played them as well as Winnipeg possibly could have. All of a sudden, Paul Maurice is a genius. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, Paul Maurice is a smart man and you know an NHL coach, but a lot of things went right. And at the same time right now, it does look like he has doesn't have the answers. And he's talking about, you know, how it's a, a blue paint series. And what when we were three games in, Winnipeg's not getting there. They're simply not. So that should fall upon the coaching, should it not? Um, the inability to break out should fall upon the coaching, should it not? Or the ability to handle Montreal's forecheck, which we need to give a lot of credit to, the speed and power of that. But if Paul Maurice is this completely veteran, wise, savvy coach who should have that advantage, I mean, maybe there are ways we're not seeing that. Maybe in the room he's keeping them really calm heading into game four. What we're not seeing is a territorial edge for the Winnipeg Jets. And that's something you, sh- you sh- should think Winnipeg should be able to get to. We haven't seen that. So I'm not, I'm not leaning on this as, oh, he's an awful coach now because they're down 3 nothing, or he was a great coach a week ago. I think the body of work this season is awfully Hellebuck-dependent, albeit with some quality and then with some decisions that after that monologue, I got another one for you, Huss. <laughs> I don't blame him for Dylan DeMello's injury. I do think it was a little bit astonishing that it took them so long to get to Morrissey and DeMello over the course of the season. The numbers were all there. The process were, was all there. I do think it was a bit astonishing to see Nathan Beaulieu play with a torn labrum on the top pairing when other options were available. I think it was a little bit astonishing to see Ville Hainala called up from the taxi squad to the Jets, or from the Moose initially, pardon me, and then remain not playing. He went more than a month without a professional game. I don't think he's the answer now. I absolutely do not. This is not a free handle a moment. However, if he was going to be, it would have been a situation where he was played and put in the lineup a little bit more often when that playoff spot was locked up. So there's plenty to point to. Yeah, I, I, I as far as Vili Hanala goes, I mean, I have to think that they made a management and organizational decision that it was in the best term of the Winnipeg Jets to not use this ELC this year. I mean, that's the only the only possible reason, considering the, the roster that they had, the defense that we're playing, to not get him in more games. And and I mean, now I get the argument, hey, your back's against the wall. What do you have to lose? Put him in tonight. And listen, would I like to see him? Sure. But then what happens if you win? And then you're gonna you're gonna not play him until now, and then play two games potentially lose and lose that year of the ELC. I mean, to me, Murat, this decision was made before. Um, and and listen, I've got a lot of time for the Jets, you know, being strategic with the way they use their assets. And I think there's certainly an argument that an extra year in the prime of a young defenseman on an ELC will be will be very beneficial to a team that needs to maximize everything they can get out of every contract for the Winnipeg Jets. But uh, 
you know, they've never really said, and I'm not sure whether they ever would admit that that has has to do with the contract. I know that's a, a tricky situation, but it's hard not to, I think, feel that way, knowing what's been happening on the Jet Blue Line, the fact that he was there, the way he's looked when he has been in the lineup. Um, but the time is not tonight to uh, go back on that decision. No, I don't think the time is tonight either. And I don't think that, you know, call it the rhythm of getting in and not getting in, call it just where he's at in his development. I'm not sure, but he wasn't defensively dominant when he played. He showed his great puck movement, and the numbers are not in favor of him being, you know, the stalwart shutdown answer. There are some skills that he has that Winnipeg could use if he's at his peak. So I I don't think that that's it. But what, what you're saying actually reminds me that we need to consider management's role in this situation as well, because if... If it's about the ELC, then Kevin Sheveldayoff post-trade deadline after, I think, I believe fairly strongly that he thought he had a deal for a veteran defenseman that did not happen. And Jordy Ben was kind of his, oppor- his, his effort to make sure that there was some depth coming in after the big fish fell through. I think that's my interpretation of the events now. Um, and so I think he tried. But in the, in the wake of that his press conference pointed to Ville Hainala specifically as players from within the organization that may be able to help down the stretch. So for me, if it's about the ELC, why not just say, well, hey, the future is so bright. And it is. I mean, Hainala Sandberg, it goes on well beyond those two players as well. There is a sense that there is development coming on the Jets blue line. Not now, but next year. That I think the, the, the messaging around that kind of led me in a different direction. And then when it comes to the entry-level contract as well, To me, the ideal situation for that is when you're trying to extend, I I assume, years of team control with the player or try to make that second contract a little bit, uh, get one more year, pardon me, of a cheap entry-level contract such that the cap looks a little bit better for you. I'm kind of wondering to myself now, though, if a one-year older version of Ville Hainala with a little bit more experience before he starts that ELC makes his second contract a little bit more expensive than it otherwise would have been. Like, I think that there's a little bit of room to go back and forth on whether, and I'm not saying I know that that's true, but I'm just saying there's a little bit of room in my mind to go back and forth as to which is actually the best play long-term. Yeah, no, it, it's a definitely an interesting conversation. Marana Tesh at the athletic with us here on Winnipeg sports talk daily. Um, you're in all the zoom calls, um, you know, and we hear, um, and listen, sometimes it's tedious, and I know it's probably not fun for the players to to go after you know disappointing losses and have to face the media. But I I, I have to wonder. I mean, Friday's game, you know, the Jets came to the, the 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 podium and almost to a man said they liked the game, they thought they were better, and I, I I'll be honest, I'm sitting there going, did we watch a different game? I mean. I was reeling from spending three hours of my life getting through that hockey game. And we're sitting here talking about, oh, there was a lot of, lot of positives going in. And even last night, too. Like, are, are they speaking their own truth? Is there a different reality right now? Or is this just a focus that, you know, we're going to stay positive no matter what? Because you certainly do hear from a lot of fans going like, this makes no sense. This is not real. And and questioning the accountability of players when they say something that kind of flies in the face of what everyone's eyes has just told them from watching the actual game. Yeah, I'm not sure how to interpret that one either because I relate to your experience of game two very much. I I, I mean, I, I'm, we're all lucky that this is what we get to put our focus on. I'm not saying that it was like painful or I didn't want it, but but it wasn't quality. It wasn't quality. 
I think it, that is the ultimate truth. And I'll never complain about a playoff hockey game being part of my my what I why I get to eat. But it was not good. And yet you hear um, you hear that how much of an improvement that it was from all three players who spoke as well as the coach. So to me, that's one of two things. One possibility is that they're doing the Connor Hellebuck manifestation, right? We're going to focus on the positivity. We're going to tell ourselves what we need to, to hear to, to make the effort to, to make the comeback. Because, look, in, in history, there cannot be that many teams that have come back from 3 nothing. let's say, that the Winnipeg Jets are at right now. But a few did. What did those teams have in common? Probably a tremendous amount of quality and all of their best play- players in the lineup. Probably that that's a good one. Um, you know, maybe they had dominant regular seasons or things they could point to, but they also probably didn't give up on themselves. So Winnipeg has, as long as they can stick to that, maybe they get the bounce, maybe they get something for momentum. I, I get that sort of manifesting from a certain perspective, and I understand why that, that would drive a fan nuts. Um, and then the other possibility to me is that maybe they just really fucking hated how they played in game one. <laughs> Maybe the bar was very low. Uh, <laughs> that well, that could be. That could be. I mean, it would have to be pretty damn low for it to be a, a big step forward for it into game two. And and even and the, and the thing about it was uh, Marat that, and I guess why. Uh, and I mean, this is just me, but I mean, I would love to hear you know, a guy, specifically the captain. I think Blake Wheeler stand up and say. At once, you know what, that, was, that wasn't good enough, that was unacceptable, and really sort of make the challenge to the rest of the team that, you know, we need to step up. We weren't good enough, and we didn't hear that, and unfortunately, they sort of played like that in Game 3. I mean, we didn't see anything change. I was on with you on OB uh, yesterday before the yes. program, which was a fun chat with Kelly, and, you know, he said, what do you expect to see tonight? I mean, what I expected to see was a team that went out, you know, listen, you, you can talk about the effectiveness, you know, what you're able to create. I thought that they would come out and show that their will to compete would be better than it was in game two. And and I didn't see that. And considering the situation that the hockey team was in going into game three, having lost the first two, um, that was really disappointing. And then the minute the Habs got that one nothing goal again. It just seemed like, here we go again. This is basically going to be game two, uh, 2.0. And listen, a few more got in for the Montreal Canadiens. They were able to generate a little bit more, and Connor Hellebuck wasn't able to save it all. But from a Jet standpoint on the other side, it really was more of the same, Rod. Well, honestly, it was. We were talking about it, and I remember... Game two, Winnipeg had a mini push to start, right? And it was 5-1, I believe, in shots um, in favor of Winnipeg to start that game. And, you know, I'm tweeting, you know, it's three or four minutes into the game. Well, wow, this looks like a much better Winnipeg team. After that, Winnipeg, sorry, Montreal goes on a 5-1 run of their own and then takes over, right? It, it was too little of, of a push, uh, of, a, of asserting Winnipeg's game on the Montreal Canadiens. There wasn't enough to lead to that goal that was going to turn the tide of the series or of that game and the series. And then game three for me is more of the same. I mean, you you can point to the zone exit issues, all that sort of stuff, but you're right. I mean, not only did Winnipeg not come out flying, it was 21-10 in shots when, when Winnipeg got its first power play of the game in the second period. Like, this is not, this is not a team throwing everything that it has successfully. Like, I, I, I don't know how to question Will because I'm not in their heads and I don't know why. I, I just... 
I guess one of the things that has always stuck with me, uh, Blake Wheeler and I sat down in 2019-20, was the year following the St. Louis loss. And he said, um, don't treat losing like a character flaw. Criticize how we play from as much as you want. Leave, leave the character out of it. And I've tried to honor that. So I, I don't know. And I'm not saying that's what you did. I'm just saying, like, I feel afraid to say that I know what the will is. That's all. That, that's, yeah. that's what the point is. Well, no, listen, I mean, I'm not saying that I do. Mm-hmm. All I know is that we did not see a response. We did not mm-hmm. see We did not see the response that a team really needs to have to get back into a series. Um, and, and, you know, and listen, if we don't see anything tonight, we'll be talking tomorrow about a team that was 4-4 four and four in the playoffs. And, <laughs> you know, you know, ended up at 500. Started off well, ended up really poorly. Um but I think, you know, listen, you can lose, but, you know, go down um, giving Swinging. it. Yeah, exactly. And um, and listen, maybe this is the challenge that Montreal is facing right now. And they, you know, as we've di- you know, discussed, haven't really figured out the answers. But it seems like not only not finding out the answers right now, I mean, they're having a tough time even getting started going in the right direction. And. Listen, a lot of the credit goes to the Montreal Canadiens. This isn't this isn't just a team that didn't show up and hand it over wins. I mean, Montreal has definitely earned them, but I think we all know from what we've seen from the Winnipeg Jets in the past, last week, in fact, um, there's more to give and, and I think more to leave out there. And hopefully we'll see that tonight right off the, uh, the, off the drop of the puck. Marat, as disappointing as the games were for Winnipeg Jet fans, there was a great organizational story and a great moment on the weekend for hockey fans. How about Canada coming back and winning the gold after starting 0-3, losing to Latvia, and literally having an entire nation turn the TVs off and not pay attention until they... Wait a second. They made the playoffs? They came back and beat Russia? They beat the, they're in the gold medal game? And then to do it the way they did. I mean, just incredible for Canada. And, uh, of course, Jet youngster Cole Perfetti adds uh, another... Um, great note to uh, a pretty wild year for him. I mean, I cannot imagine all of the hockey situations that Cole Perfetti has been in in the last year from being projected to go in the top five, probably fifth was the average, I think, a scout's consensus. Winnipeg snags him at 10th. Okay, now he's got he's going to take it personal, like the like the documentary says, right? And he goes out, tries to prepare himself for a season, not knowing what he's going to get, whether it's going to be OHL, AHL, NHL. That's all in, in question. He has a terrific World Juniors. Yeah, that falls short in the gold medal game. I'm sure that's uh, that's a dream that almost came true after being cut the year prior. Um, he had taken such great leaps in his game. Has a tremendous season for the Moose, which I think starts a little bit like like a power play specialist, great when there's time and space. But as he gets more and more comfortable with the the pace of professional hockey against men, he finds ways to make the plays that he's known for. He can slow the game down now. He's finding seams. He's developing into a five-on-five offensive threat as well. And then to be selected uh, to play with, you know, admittedly a young, interesting, unique year's roster of, of Team Canada, to be sure. But that's a feather in his cap, not just... Um, for the season that he's had. But I think about how Canada Hockey, or Hockey Canada, pardon me, thinks of, of him as a person and as a player as well. I think this is, this is a guy that you can project. If he hits the heights that we're all believing that he will, well, this could be a Team Canada player in a lot of different contexts for years to come. 
And I know Andrew Manjapani's arrival was a catalyst that not only sparked Team Canada, but it pushed his, his minutes down as well. But there's there's no question in my mind that it was a tremendous experience for Cole Perfetti and that he and his family would be really proud of, uh, of how it's all gone. Well, and, and just on the Perfetti note, I mean, we talked about Hanala and the organizational strategy. Uh, if that is what's been keeping him out of the lineup, um, like, I don't think when they picked Perfetti last year, they were thinking that he would even have the opportunity to do what he did this year. I think the plan was he'd be back in junior hockey, probably dominating the OHL. Next year, uh, assuming everything is normal, they're not changing any rules, it's an NHL or junior hockey for Cole Perfetti. Um, I, I have a hard time imagining him going back to junior hockey after what we've seen. I mean... Is he going to be a Winnipeg Jet next season? If you had to, uh, if you had to lay down a, a nickel on it, Marat? Right here and now, I think uh, I think I would I, I think I'd give the nickel. I, I'm afraid to project anything in the world of hockey, but I see it the same way that you do. Right, the, he's just come off of a professional season. He's played against men. I think for me, development is about putting a player in a situation where it's still a challenge, but he can excel or she can excel. Um, and. For me, Cole Perfetti at the AHL level, that was the exact level of competition that was going to get the most out of him this year. He started at one level. He was good enough to keep pace, but because of who he is in terms of skills and talent and development, he was able to take where he was at and then find ways to succeed against it. I don't know how you go back to playing against smaller, slower, slightly less or well, world's less organized players at junior, as good of a quality league as the OHL is. It's not professional men's hockey with uh, with the Manitoba Moose. So to go from there, the next zone of proximal development, we'll call it, I think is with the Winnipeg Jets in the NHL. And it may come out that they need to shelter him quite a bit or that they need to be a little bit more careful with inserting him into the lineup at 19 at his size and strength as well. Like there may be some management that needs to go along with that. But in terms of his quality as a player and his stage of development right now, I'm leaning, and especially with roster opportunities open up, could be an expansion draft loss. I'm not sure if that's you know Mason Appleton or Jansen Harkins or a defenseman. I'm not sure yet. Um, Matthew Perot, his contract is up. There's, there's UFA situations. There could be roster openings, and Cole Perfetti could be primed to seize one. Hey, you know what? One other thing we should just mention before we go, and shout out to Mike Chapman, and thanks to everyone that's in the chat, by the way. Another great turnout today. Even you Habs fans that are flexing. Uh, probably be doing the same thing if the uh, if uh, the, it was uh, different the other way around. Um, but Mike, and by the way, hit the like button if you wouldn't. If you're new, subscribe. Join us every day, one o'clock here. But Mike Chapman uh, mentions any of you guys want to give a quick mention out to the young female goalie drafted in the OHL. The immensity of her se- uh, selection for young girls can't be overstated. Um, that was, and listen, this did not fly under the radar. I realize the 14th round of the OHL draft is not normally something that a lot of people are talking about, but we saw the interview on Hockey Night in Canada, and uh, overall, just another good news story that, you know, we're seeing more and more opportunities for young girls. Uh, apparently, seven years of AAA. Shan Sabatos was her uh, her idol. Of course, Sabatos played at uh, what time in the WHL, but to be recognized and drafted, um, Great day for young uh, young female players across the country. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, no doubt. I have to admit guilt here and that after retweeting, I've lost her name already, so I apologize. I want to celebrate the human being in this situation. But for me, the, it, it's really a symbol of, I guess, of, of representation. Not only credit to the, to the player for her ability to play at the level that she's at, to become, I believe, the first OHL selection, right? And 
Um, it's Taya Curry, by the way. I was going to call her Taylor, uh, but it's Taya Curry. Um, first yeah. ever female chosen in the OHL draft on the weekend. But for me, representation matters. And for me, every player that a girl can look up to in a, a, a level as high as that, whatever becomes of her career, she is now a new milestone maker. And I think that when you're talking about youth and you're talking about kids in development, if they can see somebody like them, whether that's that's Taya being you know a, a girl player or whether it's about you know diversity in terms of race, ethnicity, et cetera, when you can see somebody who looks like you, who comes from where you come from, do the thing that you want to do, the amount of belief that you get out of that is tremendous. And I'm not going to tell the, the thousand word story on this, but I used to work with young students approaching the University of Manitoba was an old life of mine. And when I could tell, you know, an indigenous 16 year old volleyball player that, hey, as a matter of fact, one of my best friends is an indigenous volleyball coach who excelled at the university level. Oh, by the way, you want to be a lawyer? She's a lawyer as well. The There's no amount of, hey, you can do it that, that matches the light in somebody's eyes when they know that somebody uh, has done the thing that they want to do. And I think that you know, for, for Taya, she's going to become an instant role model for tons of women and girls across the country. Well, that was, uh, uh, you know, some good news on the weekend. That selection, of course, Canada's gold medal. Um, and Jet fans needed it because there wasn't a lot of good news when it came to this series against the Montreal Canadiens. We'll see what happens tonight, Marat. And uh, fingers crossed, we'll still have a series to be talking about tomorrow. Um, if not, we'll be breaking down a season that had some ups and some downs. Uh, but I don't think any of the Winnipeg Jets thought that this series could be ending the wrong way tonight. We'll see what happens. But as always, love the piece on uh, the series in The Athletic. We'll look forward to reading what you've got for us tomorrow, Marat, and uh, we'll do this again very soon. Appreciate it, as always. Thanks so much for coming on. Can't wait. Thanks, buddy. All right, on. There he is, Marat Atash. If you're not already subscribing to The Athletic, what the heck are you waiting for? Uh, and Marat always joins us uh, here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, one of our favorite guys to talk about. All right. Um, lots going on. We've got a great crowd today. We do have to get to some of the other stories out of the weekend. First up, though, want to thank Boston Pizza. Still waiting for the doors to be open on those BP lounges so we can get together and have a schooner together and watch games. But right now, you can bring the great taste of Boston Pizza home. you got the great game day meal, uh, the pizza flights going right now. Um, order online, bostonpizza.ca. Takeout delivery open and uh, counting down the days where we can get the Winnipeg Sports Talk crew in one of those BP lounges soon. Um, shout out to Aikens Lake. Fingers crossed on the 12th of June they'll be able to get back open and welcome in Manitobans to one of the premier fly-in fishing places anywhere. You can pretty much get on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg. Um, normally packed with Americans right now. Obviously, that's not happening. So go to AkinsLake.com and maybe make your trip inside the province this year uh, with Pitt and the gang at Akins. And of course, Assiniboia Downs. We are back to live racing tonight at ASD. Today, tomorrow, Wednesday, you'll be able to bet, watch the races as well. And you can do that all at hpibet.com. 6.45 tonight, ASD Live goes as well if you want to get some insight from Kirk and the guys on what's to come and get their selections. And, of course, you can wager and watch the races at hpibet.com. And in a couple minutes, Remus and I will give you our wagers for tonight's live racing in our continuing season-long duel at the Downs. 
We'll also get to our cool bet lines of the day in just a minute, but uh, let's get uh, Michael Remus back in with us. Uh, Remo, great stuff with Dave Poulin. Very enjoyable chat, as always, with Marat Atesh. Uh, I have been noticing the chat. Uh, lots of excited Habs fans coming in, flexing, as one would imagine. Um, how many eliminations in the daily battle royal that is the Winnipeg Sports Talk chat? It's been pretty uh, chill for the most part. I've had to time a couple people out. Uh, one guy went over the top rope. You know, if you come in and just spam like "Go Habs Go" repeatedly, like you're getting sh- you're getting banned. But if someone came in and write "Go Jets," um, you know, and spam the chat as well. I mean, spamming the chat with anything, you're gonna get you're just gonna get banned. I don't have tolerance for that. So, uh, mo- mostly pretty chill. It's been uh, some good discussion. Uh, there. <laughs> yeah, today. no, it was great. Uh, great to have everyone back with us today. And uh, as I mentioned before, if you're new, hit the subscribe button. We're here every day at 1 p.m. live on YouTube. And uh, for the podcast listeners, if you'd be so kind, go on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give us a five-star rating, maybe a little review. That certainly helps. But people that are with us on YouTube right now, do us a favor. Hit that thumbs up button. can certainly help the likes to continue spreading the channel. Um Great stuff with Dave and great stuff with Murat. I mean, there's a lot of questions, not a lot of answers, but um, I think that goes for the hockey team as well right now, Mike. It, Michael, is that, you know, the Jets sort of know what they're up against right now, but we really have seen nothing over the last couple games that would indicate that they're moving in the right direction of getting back into this series. I mean, I had a lot of people, I did the tweet last night saying it's hard to believe how the Jets have crashed after the Shifley industry uh, in, or Shifley incident. And a lot of people were saying they crashed long before that. I I disagree. And I know there'll be people that say, well, the Jets just stole the first round because Connor Hellebuck. I'm not there. I'm not there on that. I mean, I think the Jets, listen, I've got a lot of time for the argument that that wasn't a sweep for sure. That was an incredibly tight series uh, with a razor thin margin that should have been far closer than four nothing. However, this series so far, Remus, absolutely should be 3 nothing for Montreal. I mean, we can say how close the Edmonton-Winnipeg series was. I've got a lot of time for that. There hasn't been very much close about these three games so far between Winnipeg and Lake Canada. No, Game 3 wasn't close. Um, game 2, I mean, they lost by a goal, one nothing. But you watched the game, and there wasn't much to be excited about, as you said. And Game 1, I thought, was a close game. It was a one-goal game. You know, they put a couple past Carey Price, but they iced it. And you can say that the Shifley hit on uh, Jake Evans maybe was the turning point of the series. So I think they can beat Montreal. They're going to have to figure it out. But it hasn't, I mean, it's hard to be optimistic after that last game. But if you try to race that frame memory and think about what you know about the Jets and how they're able to play and how I think a lot of people are saying, hey, you know what? The Jets found a way to turn it up against Edmonton. They We give them credit. But this is the Jets team that we saw all year. They were have been very um, Jekyll and Hyde, you know, sometimes looking great. And we've saw it against Montreal as well. Even There were, there were games when Montreal took it to the Jets, but Connor Hellbuck stood on his head. We're going to need Hellbuck to have a big performance tonight. And also find a way to put one past Carey Price because the Montreal team defense is making it very difficult to get to those hard areas as we've talked about uh, throughout this show so far. Yeah, offensive opportunities have been at an absolute minimum right now. That's going to need to change. Hellebuck's going to continue to have to keep these Jets in, in, in games. And um, like Paul Stastny said, uh, you know, I think getting a break, popping something early on would be huge for the club because... 
I mean, the confidence just seems so low right now when it comes to generating offense. And, you know, the few times they had chances in the last game, with the exception of the, the beautiful play by Matthew Perot to, to set up Adam Lowry on the goal, you know, a couple crossbars, obviously the one Wheeler thought was in. The yeah, problem with that is that, you know, very shortly after that, you know, the Jets uh, you know, gave up the goal, then you had the shorthanded goal, and at that point, with a lead like that, with Carey Price playing the, play, the way he was, um, pretty much a done deal, and, uh, you know, move on to game four with your backs against the wall. Yeah, and, uh, you know, can I'd like to see them win one game. I mean, sweeping Edmonton and then, um, you know, getting swept, not ideal. Although someone said, uh, had a good point in the chat, Huss, then Edmonton, would be swept by the team that got swept by Montreal. So how bad does that make Edmonton look? Well, just wait. Just wait till <laughs> the Habs get swept by Vegas or Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> what a change. What a, a what a fourth. sweep tree. I don't know <laughs> yeah, what to call a that. Sweep tree. Has yeah, there ever been that before? That's uh, uh, that's crazy. So uh, I don't know. Speaking of Vegas, how about that turnaround in the series? I mean, uh, listen, I thought they did. They were so much better in game two. I think you could have some hope if you're a Knights fan that they were going to get back into this series. But I'll tell you what. I mean, these past two games, especially game four, they have all the momentum right now. And uh, Jared Bednar putting out, uh, you know, MIAs for his top players. It was pretty interesting to hear the way he challenged his top guys after just one loss in the series, considering what they did in the first six wins. Yeah, this is like Colorado... um... They got that first win where they, you know, took it to Vegas, and then they packed it, and they said, you know what, we're, uh, we got these guys, it's fine, and uh, you know, now we're tied 2-2, and even in Game 2, uh, Philip Grubauer was the one who stole the show, and I sometimes wonder, I don't think it gets talked about, it, uh, talked about enough, how much that uh, Colorado air has an effect on the, uh, on the visitors, uh, maybe we'll see an advantage here as the series moves on, but that doesn't explain why Vegas you know, would have outplayed Colorado in, uh, in Game 2 there. But, I mean, we had said these were the two best teams all year. It only makes sense for it to balance itself out uh, for a seven-game series. We had the Rockin' T-Mobile Arena, the most fans of any uh, arena so far this season. So, um, this I don't want to say this is like the real Stanley Cup, but we know how talented these two teams are. And this is a big series. And we've you know been joking all weekend that, you know, you all right, turn off that awesome Jets-Habs game, game two on Friday. And you put on Avs Vegas, and it's like you're watching a different sport. And someone asked me why, and I was like, I think part of it, too, is you look at you know the defense on the Jets and look at the defense on the Avs. I mean, how many awesome, puck-moving, dynamic defensemen that can jump into the play do they have? You look at Colorado, Gerard, Taves, McCarr, um, Ryan Graves has been pretty good. And then you have Vegas, who's got you know some of the best guys in the league with Petrangelo, Theodore, and Alec Martinez. And then uh, not to mention, you had to you know, get your guy Martinez in there. There's no on. way you were going to start talking Vegas Golden Knights defense without a shout out to Alec Martinez. Of course, I got his jersey's not behind me, but I have it in the closet. Um, <laughs> but you look at, and not to mention, I mean, you have Nathan McKinnon as well, Lance Laurent, maybe the best line in hockey, and Vegas has uh, some pretty solid lines as well with uh, the Stone line, but also the March so line. So hey, those are two awesome teams. I, I do have a take, and James Robinson just put this into the chat. Being the favorites has always been the Jets' kryptonite. I had this written down, and I could not agree with you more, James. The worst thing to happen to the Jets was Montreal beating Toronto mm-hmm. and them becoming favorites going into this series. The Jets are the worst front runners. Uh, it, underdog? Awesome. No one thinks they're going to win. 
that's when they usually do win. And we talk about the games like all season long. They were winning as underdogs, underdogs. And then all of a sudden, they were favored in games and put in um, performances that were that were subpar. I don't understand it. It is frustrating. But it seems like when there's a lot, they have a tough time extending positive momentum. Um, for some reason, it comes back. And Man, we've seen a serious market correction and a crash to earth through three games against the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think anybody saw it coming in the fashion that we've seen it so far, Reem. Yes, uh, Remus's mute button and Chet says, "Blame the sports books." Uh, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Blame they. You know, they went into that Edmonton series with the nobody believes in believes in us attitude. They didn't really come into and no one has, did believe in them. No, like no, let's let's be serious. They were thought of well, as fodder for McDavid and Dreisaitl and in quick fashion on most people's selections. Yeah, and I know that, um, you know, they, I think they also said that no one thought they would get to the playoffs, which was untrue. I think we had said they were good value for the division title in the regular season. But I, I think we've seen this from the Jets for a long time that, you know, they always play up to their competition and play down to their competition. I'm not making excuses here, but I think that is a trend that a lot, a lot of us uh, can see. Yeah, uh, you know, as I said, I, I'm just really interested to to kind of see the way they come out, the fight that the team shows tonight. Um, yeah, listen, we've seen a lot of teams that get down three nothing, and they're pretty much done before the game even starts, and their performance looks that way. Uh, I really hope that's not the case. We can live with the team losing, um, but you know, to lose the way they have in the last few. I mean, as I said, you got to go down swinging, and. Um, Remus, I kind of threw out what I would like to see as far as the lineup and the coach tonight. I'd love to see Lowry um, and Appleton back with Andrew Kopp playing a more significant role. And I think regardless of whether it's Stastny or Wheeler in the middle, I don't think it's Dubois. Um, You need to get Nikolai Ehlers out more and in more opportunities with the top players to try to get something going offensively because pretty much top to bottom of the lineup, they have had no answers for Montreal. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers has been the most dynamic player. I think we've been saying this all year. How is this guy not doing? You know, not getting more power play time? How is he not on power play one? You looked at his numbers, and I mean, he has been a top player, and top players get those top minutes. And you mentioned what would he have? Sorry, did you say ninth most minutes on yeah, the team? Yeah, ninth is, most minutes. Is that what you said? Uh, I got, that's exactly I, what I said. Have you In seen a game this guy couldn't skate? Score. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's bizarre. So. Hopefully that changes. It seems to be the way things have been going with him. I think Maurice has been asked, oh, you know, we like to manage his minutes that way. It makes him good. But I don't know. Give him a chance. Let's see what he can do. And uh, I think it was Justin Bourne who said, you know, it's kind of like the, how Leafs fans viewed uh, Nylander. Like, get this guy some more minutes. You saw what Nylander did in the playoffs for them. He was their, uh, be- their best player. It's a player. great comparison. It's a great yeah. comparison. And it does, it does seem that way because, you know, Nylander was the one guy producing in that series. Mm-hmm. And... You know, you continue to go back to Marner and back to Matthews for obvious reasons, but um, there was a lot of people saying, hey, and, you know, Sheldon Keefe at one point did get Nylander up with those players. Um, The weird thing is that without Mark Shifley in the middle, you know, you don't have that go-to number one center guy, uh, but Ehlers has been able to drive lines before, as Murat dictated, uh, detailed earlier and did a great job in his piece as well. Some of the best chances came from just simply the creativity that Nick Ehlers is able to do when the puck is on his stick. And um, listen, I mean, wh- whatever they can do to cr- try to beat Carey Price, 
um, they need to do it and they need to do some things differently. Um, uh, but most, most importantly, I think, come Remus at the drop of the puck and show the determination and the urgency of a team playing for their playoff lives. It just really didn't feel like that for the last couple of games. And I think that was disappointing, certainly from fans. And I'd imagine it was for the players in the team too. Yeah, and look, they were down um, early last game, and I thought they battled back really strong in the se- the second half of the first period after looking coming up pretty flat. They couldn't score, and you know they hit two posts, and then when Montreal scored, I felt like the team kind of sank. They didn't have, you know, you could you could kind of feel maybe they had a shot of coming back in those games where they're down against Edmonton, against Montreal. They were a demoralized team. They didn't have it. So the first goal, I think, is going to be. Uh, <laughs> What's going on there? Is, is he playing some so, video? Sorry, I shouldn't get distracted by that. <laughs> um, the first, uh, the first goal is going to be huge. I think it'll you know pump them up, let them play with the lead. Like they haven't led at all in three games, which is absurd. Montreal has hasn't trailed in what like how many games? They had a, a clock during the like has they has any broadcast ever used that clock? This team hasn't trailed in you know however many minutes. It's uh it's crazy. So that I think first goal. I mean that's cliche to say, but it really is going to be huge. Yeah, uh, uh, getting one early would really help the Jets play because the longer it goes, um you know the more hopeless uh, it probably feels um, there just with the inability to to do much and get many pucks past Carey Price. Um, quickly, let's get to the cool bet lines for today. And then there's some other things out of the weekend that I do want to get to. Uh, we have two games tonight, Jets and Canadians, Jets plus 127 underdogs, Habs, a pretty big favorite for the first time this series, minus 149. That's the game tonight. Over under is five and a half. And the other game beginning at what? Oh, 530 tonight. Islanders plus 158 at the Bruins minus 179. How about those Islanders, Reem? That you want to talk about a team that's tough to kill. You got to really earn your four wins against. That is Barry Trotz's Islanders. What a, a win on the weekend to get that series tied up at two. Yeah, uh, you know, Barry Trotz, he's a good coach. His teams like to compete. Um, I was, saw some quotes today from Tavis, Travis Zajac saying, you know, they got a system, they stick to it, they're a veteran team. Uh, I guess watch out for the Islanders. Hey, and we do have, um, there's only two games today. Those other games are tomorrow. So, I mean, the Jets at the underdog. I would think that they have to win one of these games. I don't, like, I can't see them getting swept, but it's hard to have faith when you've watched the last uh, couple of games and they seemingly have like no on hope. paper, yes, but yeah. after watching the last three yeah. games, I, I could see them losing tonight. It's not, it's yeah. not that hard to imagine, to be uh, honest. Hey, if, if and if you are, if you're the most optimistic Jets fan that still thinks that you know what, there is a miracle to be had. They just beat Edmonton four straight. Why can't they beat Montreal four straight? They still do have a series lineup at Cool Bet on this. Habs minus five thousand, Jets plus fourteen hundred, fourteen to one. If you think that they can rattle off four in a row, um, not sure that there's the value in that. But man, it sure would be cool to be the guy that bet on them down three one or three zero and had it go- and, <laughs> there and, it is. and, there and it had is. it happen. So that's a real um, line. There you go. The the other line I'm interested to see. Let's check it out right now. Avalanche still a favorite minus one fifty four. 
and Vegas plus 130, but that has changed significantly. I think the Knights were about 7-1 to one, um, before game number three, but what a weekend for Vegas. Uh, got right back into it, sort of the opposite of what we saw from Winnipeg in this Montreal series. Yeah, good for them. They Hey, they were down 2-0. They battled back. We know Vegas is a strong team. Marc-Andre Fleury just adding to his legendary resume, and I've said that so many times. We have saw that firsthand here in 2018, so... This one has a feeling. You, know, you had the feeling before the series it was going to go seven. Maybe after game one, you didn't feel like that. But I think this is kind of where we are where we thought we were going to be. Maybe how we got here has been different. We'll see how the Avalanche top players respond after being called out by Jared Bednar after losing, what, game four. No doubt about it. Coolbet.com. Uh, check out our uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk Twitter. Uh, we'll have a link there if you want a bonus code for 100% uh, bonus on your uh, first deposit. All right, Reem, didn't get your thoughts on uh, Canada's gold medal win on the weekend. Uh, what an incredible story. I mean, I uh, hands up. I checked out on the tournament midway through. Was paying attention on the final day where they ended up needing to see what happened, whether they were even going to be in the quarterfinal. But considering the way things started with the three straight losses, you lose to Latvia. I mean, no one saw this coming. Um, and then wins over Russia, the United States, and Finland, and go- a gold medal for Canada. Just, I mean, an amazing story. And credit to Gerard Gallant. And maybe my favorite picture of the weekend was Bobby Liu, general manager Roberto Luongo, throwing up the trophy in the midst of all the confetti. He was, uh, he was a very, very happy man. But what a great story that was for Canada. I, I'm a big fan of the World Championships. It's nice going on. Give something for the guys who don't make the playoffs uh, to do. Um, and you look at the team, though. It was a, a you know, much different team. It wasn't a lot of uh, NHL guys. Um, Cole Perfetti was on the roster here. I'm bringing up this Luongo uh, picture. Yeah, great, one, great one, photo if you're one with us here on YouTube. But, um, and so that, you know, we had gone through the tournament. They got off to a really rough start. There's the picture. Got off to a rough start. <laughs> And uh, we thought, oh, man, Canada, they're screwed. I mean, we were betting. I think people in chat were betting on them to lose to, like, Norway. They lost to Latvia. Like, this is okay. Maybe this isn't Canada's year. But to come back after that awful start and, you know, beat Russia, beat USA, and beat Finland in overtime, incredible story. But I have to say, I, you know, when I found out it was three-on-three overtime, you know, usually it's whatever overtime and then they do a shootout, but it was just continuous. I was like, this is cool. But then I watched the three-on-three overtime. Maybe the most conservative, boring three-on-three overtime I have ever seen. Um, and I said to my wife, we were, okay, we want to go for a walk in the afternoon. I was like, okay, let's just watch this overtime. It's going to be over quick. I thought we, we almost saw like multiple, three, multiple overtimes of that. But they had the two-on-one. Mm-hmm. Beautiful finish. And it's just a great weekend uh, for Nick Paul, the other Paul brother. <laughs> him and, we'll him and to, Logan were the stars we'll, of Sunday. We'll get to we'll get to that at the end of the program. Um, big big news for the CPL, and uh, I'm not sure if you caught this uh, on the weekend, Reem, but the CPL has received the go ahead. The league will begin at the end of June, and it's going to be happening right here in Winnipeg. Um, and we haven't heard the details. I mean, at this point, I don't think there's any chance we'll have fans anytime soon. But um, the league will be starting with all teams here in Winnipeg going forward um, to get things going. End of the month, I believe the 27th of June is when things are going to be starting. And listen, great for the league. They've got to get playing. They've got to get back. And as we cross our fingers, get our shots, hopefully we can be back in the trench cheering on Valor FC. And I should have told you, Remus, uh, beforehand to get this ready. 
Maybe you can uh, maybe you can pull it up as just as we're talking. But Valor FC uh, and the CPL dropped the new jerseys, the community kits today. And I got to tell you, the Valor FC one is absolute nails. I will be getting one um, beautiful white and the maroon stripes coming up. And um, so I'm not sure the details. They just announced those today. Uh, but Valor FC, uh, there's some of the pictures right there. You can see uh, Remus is dropping it out. Very, very sharp. Saw a few people think that the Valor one is the best one in the league. I already like their kits. There's a great shot of it. Um, really, really cool stuff. So um, soon we'll hopefully be able to put those things on, get together, watch some games, and then, of course, the CFL, fingers crossed, June 14th is the date that they have told players that they will confirm the August 5th start and opening of training camps. And um, you know what? Listen, we're not in a great spot here right now with the hospitals. We are seeing the daily case counts go down, which I think is giving people a sense of optimism as the vaccination rates go up. And uh, Remo, I'll tell you what, if we continue this way, I'm getting more and more optimistic that even if it's at limited capacity, uh, we can have some butts in seats for activities out at IG Field, both on the pitch and the gridiron later on this summer. Yeah, we'll wait and see. I'm really hoping. If I can play CFL DraftKings this summer, I will be a very happy man. I list, I missed uh, watching oh. CFL last year, but more importantly, playing fantasy football. It's a nice warm-up for the NFL uh, fantasy season. So that is something, you know, people are like, well, are you guys still going to be on when the Jets are not playing? Because clearly our numbers have spiked over the last two weeks with the Jets doing so well in the playoffs. Yes, we will be here. We will be uh you know, monitoring CFL a lot more closely. And, of course, the hockey offseason is going to be nuts. We're already speculating on who the Jets are going to lose in the expansion draft uh, or will they make a deal to protect someone. Um, So uh, the hockey offseason is going to be very tight, very compact, leading into the expansion draft, then free agency. And then before you know it, we'll have a training camp. So, uh, Absolutely. I mean, listen, we'll obviously cover the Canadian Football League, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I mean, everything going on as it relates to Winnipeg sports. But also, I mean, anyone that listened to the show back on the uh, 1290 days knows um, I'm, uh, you know, an NFL nerd, if there ever was one. We'll be talking a ton of NFL, CFL, hockey offseason. And, uh, you know, it'll also give us some time to have fun. We don't have bosses anymore, folks, so we can – we can uh, do some of the fun things that we always like to that maybe we didn't think we had enough time for here with you. So uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Give us a like, too, while you're at it. And uh, join us daily. Uh, we will not be going anywhere throughout the summer. Uh, and there will still be lots of things to talk about here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Speaking of NFL, Reem, how about Julio Jones going to the Tennessee Titans? You know, I got to give a shout out to A.J. Brown. I don't know if you saw that video. He essentially did a recruiting video and willed this trade into existence. Um, second round pick, fourth round pick, and now Julio Jones is a member of the Titans. Interesting trade by the Falcons, moving on from still one of the best receivers in football. I'll tell you what, that, you know, with Derrick Henry, Brown, and now Jones, Ryan Tannehill's got a pretty lethal set of weapons there in Nashville. Yeah, there's the video of uh, A.J. Brown rocking the Julio Jones jersey. Um, yeah, that those are some lethal, lethal receivers. A.J. Brown, I think he's on his way to being uh, the top guy if he's not there yet in the league. He's huge. He can catch the ball. You know, Julio Jones seems just like an older version of him. So for fantasy purposes, and Ryan Tannehill, you look at his numbers, he's been as good as any quarterback. I mean, he's a top quarterback in the league. He can run as well as throw. So 
Watch Hold over the Titans. Second. Hold on a second. Yeah. Did you just put Tannehill yeah. as a top quarterback in the league, like just like on par with the great Patrick Mahomes? Excuse me? I saw some numbers, Huss. Let me pull it up that were very comparable uh, to them. Oh, here they are. Look at this graphic. And it's an infographic on the internet, so you know it must be true. <laughs> here we are. Look at the. Since taking over for the Titans, uh, looks like Tannehill's got a better QB rating. Uh, he's got more total touchdowns, the same number of interceptions, a better completion. I, I have the numbers right here on the screen. It looks like Tannehill's better than Mahomes. Uh, shout out to Dove Kleiman Cl- uh, for tweeting that one out at NFL underscore Dove Kleiman on Twitter. There you have it. There are the numbers right there. Uh, Tannehill's better than Mahomes. Yeah, you heard it yeah. here first. Yeah, that slight, you know, slight difference of an extra nine hundred passing yards in this graphic gets uh, overlooked. That but, didn't, but I'll tell but you what. That wasn't in favor of my argument, so I left it out. <laughs> the fact that the fact that those numbers are the way they are, I think it does speak to. Um, I mean, like, is Adam Gase the worst coach ever? Yes. Uh, like, like what he does with quarterback, they move on. Like Sam Bradford. Like, looking at this and what Tannehill has done with the Titans, we should be going all in on Sam Bradford in his next stop with Carolina with a coach that knows what he's doing and Matt Rule, especially offensively. Going to be pretty interesting. Anyways, well, uh, Julio got a lot more fantasy relevant, I think, right now, although oh. you wonder what that does. Is it so crowded that there's not enough uh, reps and touches for everyone to get full value in the draft? You know, Julio was so frustrating at times with Atlanta where you thought he was going to have a big game and, you know, they wouldn't throw to him or they wouldn't look for him in the end zone. You know, he's struggled with health the last couple of years. If he can stay healthy, maybe they won't have to rely on him as a number one. So we will see. And uh, yeah, T- are you reading too well? And Chetty says Tannehill better than Mahomes, period. I think the numbers on the screen <laughs> it's confirmed. here. Confirmed. Confirmed conf- right it's there. Confirmed Remus's right mute there. button said it. <laughs> it's confirmed. 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 Uh, <laughs> great stuff. Okay. Um, can, now, we're going to finish off with the fight. But Wait. before we do that, can we, we have to talk about the Sixers, uh, the yeah. intro for the Sixers yesterday. And I am rocking the uh, – someone asked me, what hat are you rocking today? And this is a, uh, I can bring it up one sec. It is a Philadelphia 76ers Benjamin Franklin hat. I saw it on sale and I was like, I need this hat. Benjamin Franklin dribbling a basketball. And the reason why I'm pulling it up, uh, here, here we are. Uh, Joel Embiid and Triple H ringing the Liberty Bell before the game with custom DX shirts, doing the crotch chops. It was an incredible moment. So uh, Sixers <laughs> to the finals, right? It, it was. If anyone missed it, so uh, Sixers beginning their series against the Hawks, they welcome Triple H out to ring the bell, and they normally do it with this. He brings his famed sledgehammer. He and Joel Embiid, not with the team, Embiid comes out with Triple H like a tag team, and then they get together and start doing the DX suck it crotch chops. To the entire crowd. Now, Remus did did suck it and crotch chopping not get canceled. It's it got canceled. Is it, is it back? Okay, crotch chopping was very canceled on school play, playgrounds in the year two thousand. But as of, I mean, they did it in an arena full of a packed arena in Philly. So uh, crotch chopping is back. As long as you're not crotch chopping your teacher in elementary school, then I think <laughs> I think you're golden. <laughs> 
Well, the funny thing was, uh, it was the uh, it was Trey Young and the uh, Atlanta Hawks who ended up saying "suck it" to the Sixers uh, mm-hmm. as they uh, went into Philly on the road and won by four. Um, other game yesterday in the Association: Clippers come back, beat the Mavs in seven, and they move on. So I think we've got now the Nuggets. The Nuggets and Suns start their series tonight, and then it'll be the Jazz and Clippers a little later on. Game two tonight between Milwaukee and Brooklyn, uh, 6.30 and 9 p.m. for uh, for those two games. Yeah, Sean37 says uh, WAP, capital W-A-P, is okay, so I'm sure (laughs) cross-chopping is now. Who was it? Who was it that tweeted out the... uh, the the dirt the dirtiest hit of 2020 was WAP, WAP, yeah. <laughs> and the dirtiest hit of 2021 was Mark Shifley. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> I got a bit of a kick. There's been tech. there's been a lot of uh, hot takes about Shifley, and I, actually I should get to this because I went on the big rant on uh, Friday, and people were putting fire emojis in chat, and I did tweet it out. It got almost 10k views on Twitter. So people are fired up. I just want to add the point that I was trying to make, too, that I didn't say clearly is if you're a Jets fan, you've watched uh, headshot after headshot on Jets players over the last five years. And I rattled off many. Their little has had a couple. Wheeler's had a couple. Uh, I didn't even mention Mar- the ankle thing from Kachuk on Shifley. Um, Lion A has had one. There's been so many. And to see those, you know, where we have been here saying, call this. Like, what are you doing? And then for Shifley to get what has everyone has deemed an excessive penalty is disappointing, and that's why everyone is so upset. I don't want to keep harping on this Shifley thing because that is not why they're losing. It's certainly a factor, but I think people are just confused with um, the inconsistency well, of the player safety. Well, no, for sure. Um, they were choked about it, and here's the, the worst part about it. We have not seen a response from the other guys in the lineup to, um, yeah. you know, really like from a team or even from individuals you know, outside of, you know, Adam Lowry and Nikolai Ehlers, um, you know, stepping up to, to make up for that huge hole in the lineup. And, you know, we all expected, we talked to O-Dog. If you missed the interview with Jeff O'Neill on Friday, check out Friday's show. Very interesting from uh, from O about the Dubois situation he was doing. He said, I'm, I'm watching him all night um, for the Sports Center hit. I will be talking about one player. And uh, unfortunately, there wasn't much to talk about. Uh, but he certainly wasn't the only one right now. Uh, be interesting to see whether we're talking about a game five back in the peg or getting ready for garbage bag day here tomorrow. I think it was Paul who asked, um, you know, will, I mean, we'll definitely be doing a full breakdown of the season. We'll be talking to, you know, the uh, media guys and maybe even people from the team afterwards, uh, depending on how things go. Uh, but it ain't over yet. Still got a game tonight, and we'll see how things go. Uh, Paul, not sure about the Euro, um, but depending on what happens this week, if the Jets are done, um, we'll probably get Ziff on, maybe somebody else to give us some uh, hints as to who we should be picking. Yeah. Maybe we'll even do a Euro pool, actually. for That might be fun for uh, for everyone. Uh, see if we can do one, uh, an easy, simple one, uh, bracket, if you will, on the uh, online. We'll try and do that in the next couple of we- days before kickoff on Friday. I want to get to a couple things before we go because we're kind of getting to 3 o'clock here. We haven't talked oh, yeah. about our picks for a Cinnaboy downside, and I want to play Paul Stasny's response to ask about his injury because... Okay, let, let's which, get to... Okay, let's do the picks right now. As yeah. I mentioned, um, live racing tonight, a Cinnaboy downs. Uh, I'm going two bets, 10 bucks each. I've got Newell, number four, in race number three. 
And I'm going to take number four as well, Candy Con in race number five. I see, Remo, you're getting a little exotic with your uh, wagers today. Yeah, I've done a lot of research on this. Uh, watch out for me uh, when it comes to the picking. I'm on, I've been on fire. I hit that Quinella last race day, and I've just been foaming at the mouth to get to the next one. So I'm, I don't give you the names of these horses because I forget them. I, I'm writing in, this is the appropriate uh, horse race betting uh, shorthand. And I've learned it from being on HPI Bet. All I know is race six, I have $5 on horse number four to show. That horse is Otani, of course, being a baseball guy. Uh, race three, I got the exact $5 exactor, two and one. So they have to finish in that order. And I'll give you those horse names. I have Levante and Bear Me a Moment. So, And if, you, <laughs> if you're into the horse names, race seven, I got a Quinella on two and four, $10.00. And that's going to be after the Jets game, 10:35, And so two is Simply Fabulous and four is Valente. So those horses, they can finish first and second. And I'm really into the Quinellas. I've hit a couple of them. So if you're not sure which one's going to win, which one's going to get second, you can just do two. So I'm learning about this horse, uh, horse betting. And, well, uh, and, uh, and, and the duel at the Downs is being led by Remus right now. I need to get back in. Hopefully a big win on uh, Racer 3 or 5 tonight. Um, Paul Stastny? Yes, we got to get this today. Stat. Yeah. So, tee this one up for us, Reem. So, you know, everyone, so everyone's asking me all weekend, what is going on with Stastny? I'm like, I don't know. They, they showed up to the series and he was hurt. So, um, someone spoke today at the hotel, which is why I guess their lighting is not as good as it usually is. But, um, this is from Jets TV and someone had to ask him, well, what's going on here? So here we are. This is uh, Paul Friesen on the mic. Did you uh, get hurt in practice? And how maddening was that, if that's what happened? Uh, no, it was, uh, I mean, maybe one day I'll tell you guys, but it wasn't that. It was just slowly but surely something came on. And uh, if there's one thing, well, I'm not going to tell you what happened. <laughs> so, uh I'm playing, which, which that's all I care about. You know, I feel good out there. And, and uh, yeah, some things are just out of your control sometimes. That can be frustrating. That can be annoying a little bit. But it is what it is. And, you know, now that I'm playing again, I just can't really be annoyed about what happened about it. Let me guess, Reem, all sorts of hot takes and theories by YouTube detectives um, on uh, on what's happened to uh, to Paul Stastny. Just happy he's back in the lineup. That comment looked great last night. Hey, Paul, what happened to you? Uh, I'm not going to tell you. I mean, something happened, but uh, I'll tell you guys later, which was basically so everyone who's been texting me over the weekend, I guess, you know, we do this show on YouTube. We talk about the Jets. Maybe they figured I had some inf- inside info. Uh, no, seems like nobody knows, and he'll tell us uh, at a later date. Maybe slipped in Online the comments. If you really want the truth, just go read the online comments. Facebook. Yeah. You know, YouTube. Oh, that that that's that's where to find. Everyone's out. writing in chat. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, T. Will. Shout out to T. Will. Jets in seven. Hear me now. Quote me later. Hopefully. I hope we will be quoting you in a week or so, T. Will. That's need, uh, good stuff. Yeah, we need the Jets to win because I'm afraid for our viewership if they lose. <laughs> We've been on a high. Let's keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> Joel Simpson. Some people speculate that Dubois has an injury as well. Um. You know what? Absolutely, there has been some speculation as we talk with Dave Poulin. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be certainly the player that we saw last year. Maybe there's an explanation for it. 
uh, there'll be plenty of time for those questions at the end of this series. Right now, though, Jets just need to focus on scoring a goal, getting off to a good start, winning a game, and getting this series back to Winnipeg and uh, living to play another night. All right, Remo, final topic. Have to get to it. I almost needed a ridiculous oh. distraction after the game last night, and we did have it. It certainly was a ridiculous distraction. It was all-time great, undefeated Floyd Mayweather stepping into the ring with 0-1 YouTuber Logan Paul, and it went just about as you would expect, um, completely outclassed, a bit of a circus, probably fixed in some ways, and... Um, Listen, anyone that dropped 50 bucks on that fight, congratulations to you. Your money, you can spend it as you want, but um, it was kind of a circus. I have to say, though, Logan Paul came out of it looking pretty good, despite the fact that I think he did get knocked out by Mayweather, and Mayweather literally held him up to avoid him going down. Not too sure what that was about, but uh, bottom line is they all got paid big time. Yeah, um, I don't. I, I don't know who would pay for that event. Um, that's probably not not the play. Um, but I guess they've put on these like celebrity boxings. Ocho Cinco was on the undercard. People seem to be interested. We're talking about it here. <laughs> so, and I think people started watching and they remembered. Oh, right, that's what a Mayweather fight is. Uh, you know, he kind of stands back and plays defensive boxing, and it's not entertaining <laughs> at all. And I remember getting hyped for Mayweather Pacquiao and. Mayweather McGregor and just being bored to death after so I felt like that was yesterday um I mean they they put on the event uh Logan Paul seemed very appreciative uh good for him but I will say the one thing that came out of this I think this is a trendsetter Logan Paul wearing a necklace with a graded 10 first edition Charizard Pokemon card uh, I don't know if you I think this is worth I think he paid 150k for that card I think it's worth like 300k. So I think that's a new trend. I wanted to pull out my Burmese straw of graded 10 young gun and make a necklace out of it. I just didn't have the equipment. So yeah, I imagine said to you last night this is this is what's coming out of this fight. Mm-hmm. Um, a new fashion where you have a chain and you put on your your favorite card. Um, I'm gonna wait for that signed auto Sammy Niku uh, out of 83 from Dusty's Break and maybe uh, plop that on a big chain, run around with that tribute to Niku for his time. Tell you what, just quickly on the way out, I know there's been lots of talk about putting Hanela in the lineup, and I don't really think that is as much an option because of, as I said, the way I read this is that they've made an organizational decision that they're not going to blow this year, the ELC, and stick him in at the last minute, or they would have done it earlier. Tell you what, though, considering what we've seen so far, I mean, I I don't know. I I would have time, even though Niku hasn't played in forever. Um, He's I wouldn't even. In. I no, he you wouldn't. But if you're talking about it, if if Hanela isn't an option, um, I mean, listen, I I don't see how it would get worse. Um, you know, maybe he'd be able to make a couple passes and help generate some offense right now. I mean, I admit, yeah, you might get a bit of a hit defensively, but right now. Um, they need to they need to do something. And, and we have seen some pretty drastic lineup changes in the past of Paul Maurice with his team back against the wall facing elimination. Uh, it just doesn't seem he has as many options this year. But I thought I would throw that out. I would not be... I would not have an issue if Sammy Niku was in the lineup tonight over one of the guys that has been struggling a little bit. Well, you know, you know he can move the puck. And I think that's the thing with Sammy Niku and um, a guy like Christian Vaseline, like, 
they haven't been really given that much of a chance. I mean, they always get these like low level minutes, and I think Veselin has been looked good at times. He has um, he has a good shot, which that we have definitely seen. But I mean, playing with for him playing with the uh, fourth line, I mean, not much opportunity there. So they do need a puck moving D. If you're not going to go Hainala, Niku is there, but he hasn't been used all year, so I'm not expecting him to be in the lineup. No doubt. Um, well, folks, uh, it is. Uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens tonight. Um, no more room for error for the Winnipeg Jets. Down three, nothing. Will they extend it and get the series back to Winnipeg, or will that be lights out so quickly after such an exciting sweep in the first round? Uh, we'll find out tonight. Seven o'clock is a puck drop. Um, after the game, legal curve will be on. I think I'm going to jump on with Kenny and Rennie as well. Yeah, going uh, to two a.m. For, well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, um, I, I don't mind. I don't mind being up late. I have been up late after with the guys beforehand. Now, if it's the end of the season, I'll probably jump on. I think they'll probably go really long if that's the case. I think Sean's got like a 4 a.m. flight or something like that from Montreal back to Winnipeg. Um, but if there's no work tomorrow, I think he'll go on and just roll with it right up until the flight. So anyways, check it out after the game. I see guys doing a great job. And then Kenny and Rennie, I'll pop on with them a little bit later on. And uh, tomorrow, 1 o'clock, Winnipeg Sports Talk. JP Vijay will join us. We'll talk about tonight's game. Um, we'll talk about the series, whether it is over, whether it's coming back to Winnipeg, and much, much more. Big thanks to Not Autocorp, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Little Brown Jug, PolicyMe.com, Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Bend, Aikens Lake, and, of course, Cool Bet Canada. Shout out to everybody with us in the chat that's been with us. And... Um, the Royal, Royal Sports, <laughs> shout out to Greg. I did say four in a row, but thought it would be three, two, three, four, and five, not these four. Let's go Jets. David Smith, tonight is the beginning of four in a row. Love the optimism in the chat, folks. We'll do it again tomorrow. Hopefully be talking about a 3-1 series that is coming back to the peg. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. We'll see you tomorrow on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Enjoy tonight's game. Oh, my oh! God. Shut it down! Let's go home! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.